you lot. You're listening to Garage Hammer. Episode 187. On tonight's episode, the signs are in the skies and the malign portents are coming to you, I guess. But he's got it and the other one's got it and they're going to tell you what's happening in the story. And ooh, is this going to be fun? Oh boy, shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the garage, you tools, for the next two or three hours, or however long it takes, or thereabouts. We will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, or perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you ominous omens, potent portents, and long live the queen. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Dave Whitek, and I'm here to ask you, do you have eczema? Do you have, do you have shortness of breath? Do you have irritable bowel syndrome? Well, then yes. you need this new king, Lord Ordinate. That's right, for folks, Lord Ordinate. It's the cure-all, the snake juice for what's ailing you. Try it today, Lord Ordinate. Wouldn't that be snake oil? Snake oil, snake juice, whatever. Snake juice is what There's a real difference. Yeah, it is the snake oil. The snake juice is what, yeah, if you get the... You, uh, is this a family show? We need to change the subject. Oh, no, I was thinking more like uh, anti-venom, but... Uh, oh, well, that's different, then. Well, you know, Lodordinate. <sighs> Christopher kept saying that. He saw I was showing it to him, and he's like, Lodordinator. You just call him Lodordinator. Lodordinator. The Lodordinator. I'm like, Lodordinate. That sounds like a... Sounds like a... Something put drug. on a hemorrhoid. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like a prescription drug they put on the commercials. So that's what we're doing today. I'm selling the Dordinate. But other people are selling stuff too, and those are our sponsors. Why don't you tell them about those guys, Alex? Absolutely. So, as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games. In Gray's Lake, Illinois, at least for now. Boo. Chaos Orc Superstore. 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 And Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your MDF basing needs. Yes, yes. And we should also thank our Patreon sponsors. Because it's that time. We want to thank our associate producer, Phil Elliott, and our executive producers, Bradley Graham and Misty Tempel. Thank you, you guys, for being the leaders among the almost 1% who are patrons of Garage Hammer. Thank you all very much uh, for all you do to keep the show moving and the show going and all that stuff. Uh, We really appreciate it. If you're interested... And what it means to become a Garage Hammer patron, go to patreon.com slash garage hammer. Um, yeah, that's that. So, um, hey, guess what, Alex? What? We've got voicemail. No, we don't. We do. We have voicemail. And you can call and leave us a message on the voicemail if you call 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. Or inter- most international callers dial 001-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 757-441-4696. There you go. Now that I've drilled that into your head, uh, we got two, two voicemails this week. I'm going to play the shorter one first. Uh, even though it came in like hours after, it is the second voicemail, but it's quicker, so we can get it done and and then do that and get to the next one. So I'm going to play that for you right here, uh, right now. 
Hey, Dave. Hey, Alex. Adam here calling from Central Maryland. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, love the show. Uh, I'm taking a quick break from the hobby table, slugging through 30 dry ads. Got me thinking, how do you guys get over the hobby blues, and how do you stick to a deadline? Uh, really looking forward to the Malign Portance episode, and uh, thanks for all you guys do. All right, there's the first one. How do you get through hobby woes? My I'm friend. actually grinding through that now myself. Um, uh-huh. I've been really unmotivated, uh, just trying to get stuff done. But what I did end up doing was I built stuff. Um, and when we get to the hobby section, because I find that if I just keep painting and painting and painting, you just get burned on it. So I switch gears and build something. Um, that works. Yeah, because then you get more motivated to do it. And I know some people say, paint terrain, because that'll turn it around. And I would agree only in the fact that once you start painting terrain, you want to paint something else, because you just want to stop painting terrain. Yeah. So, Although, like I said, paint terrain, if you just do one piece, because I've got a bunch of the GW terrain, most of it is not painted. I mean, uh, uh, and and that that is painted. A lot of it is not painted to completion. Like I've still got Realm Gates with just the white plastic of uh, the base for the the mist coming through. I've still got to you know touch those up. There's always something you can kind of do, um, but the, that other terrain, so it, it can it can work. At least if you just need something to, to to just move on to, if you can't decide what to move on to, that's good for everything you play. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just I, I try to mix it up as well. That's the best way to do it. How do you keep to a schedule? You do. You just gotta. You just gotta. You knew you, part of keeping to a schedule is trying to be ahead of schedule. Uh, it's personally for me. Uh, I often come down to a bit of a deadline with one or two models, but coming down to a, to a deadline with one or two models and you're kind of trying to hurry and get those done is not nearly as bad as coming down to the deadline with a unit or two to do. Mm-hmm. Um, just try to get ahead of the game, you know, and and plan it out. I will actually plan it out in my little little calendar book here, and just be like, okay, this is what I've got. This is what I've got left, and try to give yourself uh, enough time. Uh, but I mean, that's simple for anyone, I suppose. But my my biggest thing is to try to be ahead because I always wind up falling a little behind. So if you're if if you're pushing hard in the beginning to get ahead of schedule. Then if something happens, you're not behind the eight ball. <clears throat> That's my best advice. So, all right. Uh, let's see. We got one more voicemail here. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that one? No. Nah. Okay. So here we go with the next one. Hold on. Here we go. Hi, Dave. Hello from the past. It's like uh, 2014, and the Tomb Kings were just released. I've been... Uh, Introduced to Warhammer from Total War Warhammer 2. And I wanted to go back and listen to all your old shows to kind of relive the uh, 8th edition experience. Cool stuff. couple things. Uh, number one, as far as the lore, like it's really interesting how all this stuff is talking about how like archetypal stories and how like life is a struggle between order and chaos. And that's all reflected in the uh, Warhammer lore. They were, like, all over that, you know, 20 years ago. 
And uh, so that's why all the uh, the uh, fluff holds up in the Black Library stuff. Really interesting. And like, hey, lay off of the uh, the uh, lizard men and their lore because I think you'd find that all those uh, space ships and that kind of stuff relates back to the uh, Aztec and Maya uh, religions. Who I think you'd find many of their gods were from the stars. And so it all it's really neat how all that stuff ties in. But uh, anyway, listen, enjoy listening to uh, the show and uh, reliving all the Eighth Edition stuff and uh, learning about the Warhammer world. So thank you for the show and uh, keep it up. Later, man. Look at that! Our our the, our back catalog, including all the horrible parts, uh, are still bringing people joy with uh, all that cool eighth edition stuff. Those are some fun shows. There's a lot. There's some fun. There's some good ones in there. There's so many book reviews and stuff though, that, uh, that you just you go back. It's like, well, uh, nope, this isn't much. You know, personally, listening to out of date book reviews always puzzled me. I had to stop. I couldn't do it. All right. So uh, that's it for the voicemails. Um, that's it for all the opening stuff. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We'll run through the news. We'll run through the toolbox. And then we'll get into the malign court as quickly as we can. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Sounds right. great. We'll be back. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. <laughs> Daughters of Cain are coming. Did you see the Marathi? She's got a tail! Yeah, she's got tails, she's got wings, she's got snakes for hair. Now, is that, now there's, that's two versions of her, though, right? Is there two of her? Yes. there's there, Well, there's one Marathi, but there's two versions. So, like... One is right when Shade Spire starts, and the other is her um, inspired form, or is this like more like the ultimate form where her power level goes to nine thousand? Yes, excellent. That's exactly um, what I wanted to hear. The truth is, it's a transformative experience. Like they said on the preview that went up today, uh, day of recording. We're recording on the nineteenth, yes, so if you're listening to this on day of release. Um, to show her to be out there, but that's who she really is, is the snake demon. That's, yeah, this is cool. And then 
the form of her as an elf goddess is how she starts. That's her presentation to the world. See, now I want to read this. Is she not really Marathi or is she just... No, it's Marathi. She's just changed. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. And I know, okay, you either love the elves or you hate the elves, but I love the story of the elves. And so I'm excited to see this stuff start trickling in. I'm hoping that this is opening up the the floodgates here for all sorts of new uh, elvish stuff to see where, where they go with that because this looks... The stuff that I've seen so far, I've been very impressed. I like the lady who does the voice of Marathi. Yes, A plus star for that voice actor. <laughs> and then fantastic. I'm just going to go and say this right now. Marathi, model of the year, 2018. Already? You're throwing it down in February, the model of the year. Oh, yeah. All right. All What's right. going to top that? Uh, dude, who thought that they could have topped some of these other things that they've done? But they yeah. have. But I don't know. I've just seen so much love for Marathi and I'm everyone's just, oogling and ogling. I'm just saying that's a bold statement to make in February. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying it's going to be up. Well, it's like when Archeon dropped. He dropped early in the year and there was no contest. Oh, yeah. There's other big stuff that might come out there. You never know. You never know. Uh, no. Oh, so nobody beats the queen. Okay. Well, um, speaking of lesser releases, uh, <laughs> uh, Nave Black Talon is coming out in her uh, individual. Uh, you could just buy her instead of having mm-hmm. to buy the whole uh, Blight War box. Uh, is Slime X available individual? Yeah, he came out with the demon release. That's right, he did. That's right, he did. So the Magikin release. Right. So Neve Black Talon, uh, a single is available. The Stormcast Vanguard box, get started box, is uh, going up for is up for pre order. That's the Lord Aquilor, the three Vanguard Paladors. So you got four Chicobos total, five Hunters, and three Hounds. Um. So it's a dozen models, including three Hounds, to get up if you really want to start off. Uh, a uh, uh, shooty and uh, mounted uh, Stormcast, which is the one way I haven't played it yet, and I have the models here. I just haven't gotten around to them. Yeah, it's actually a really ridiculously good value. Yeah. I mean, they all are, but this one's pretty good. Yeah, 85 bucks for that is not bad considering um, yeah, all that you're getting in that. And then the uh, Overlords got uh, Getting Started set. One gun hauler, three sky wardens, uh, a set of five thunderers, and an Endrin master. So, the thunderers and the gun hauler are more than eighty five dollars, just for those two boxes. And then the box of sky wardens and the Endrin master, you know, are on top of that. So that's another good value. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Uh, oh, the Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, the, the release is out. Um, I like these kits. I like these new sets. Oh yeah, and the cards are great, and the way that they're supposed to play, I enjoy. Um, I like the Fire Slayers, obviously, but I even like how they play. Like I, 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 I haven't gotten them down yet, but they're they're going to be one that I think I, I enjoy playing a lot. So, super excited. Um, 
I think that's it for the news. Yeah, and they came out with the card sleeves and the dice for each of those crew for each of those war bands. Right. Sorry. Right. No war bands. That's right. I always forget what they're called too. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, and I think we put that even on the last show that they've got all that stuff out for them. But uh, yeah, I actually picked up some of the dice. I picked up some of the Stormcast dice because I let my daughter pick, and she looked at all the colors. She's like, "Pick the blue." I'm like, "Okay." I was going to go with the gray. I wasn't too sure about the orange. It looked like medicine. Yeah, orange is a weird color. Yeah. Uh, I did pick up sleeves for everything, though. Well, give me the sleeves. Mm-hmm. So I can make decks. Yeah. Uh, we'll um, talk more about that later. We'll probably do a garage uh, gamer on that at some point. I think I'm going to try to get Heather to play it and see what she thinks, too. That might be interesting. Someone who's not a tabletop war gamer but likes games. Absolutely. So... Um, and then she'll say no, and then it'll just be you and me like the original plan was anyway. But even if we have her on, we'll have the three of us. Yeah, yeah. Because it's easy to plug her in over here without all the Skypey Skype, so it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's it. Uh, I'm I'm excited for these releases. But as yeah. it is, we're covering Malign Portance this week, and then uh, we're going to op- be opening March not with Marathi but with Nagash. Um, which I know is behind other people's reviews, but I, I'm. <laughs> there is a lot to cover in Legions of Nagash. Yeah. Beyond all of those War Scrolls and all of those Allegiance abilities, there's a lot of background in there. There's that, a lot of story going on. Yeah, it fills a lot of the holes that we're going to talk about. Um, and I don't. Did you see uh, the Heretic Astartes Thousand Sons book was released? Yes, I have it. And. Did you happen to notice that Skyfire is running 40K? Yep. yep. And they're not nearly as obnoxious as they are in AOS. No. Uh, in fact, they started even selling, because you could bring the... Uh, the the Zang- Vortex Beast. The Zangors. No, I think it's is it the Zangors or the uh, Cultists you could bring, because they're selling... Uh, it's the Zangors. The Zangors. You get the upgrade kits so that you can uh, put put uh, you know, guns in their hand instead of just knives. Yeah. You know, because the future. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, that's... Yeah, no, I heard about that right away. I think that's uh, I think that's great. Let them take them over there and play with them, too. Mm-hmm. Not as a yeah, it makes that barrier to entry much smaller. Right. But so, it's all good. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Should we go on to the toolbox from Chaos Orc Superstore? Chaos Orc Superstore. Sure. All right. I'm excited about Chaos Orc Superstore. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about the show. I'm excited about Malign Portents. Um, I kind of like this, uh, even though it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot less information in there than I was hoping. There's enough to wet my whistle, and then you jump into the leeches and the gash, and it, and it adds to this. Even so, uh, I'm 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 excited about it. So, um. All right, toolboxes. What kind of hobby have you done? You've been building, I think. That's my guess. Been, I'm just going to guess. Yes. Um, I've been alternating between painting a crucible, which is the Chaos Dreadhold gun tower oh. with a soup bowl on top of it. Oh. Um, I've been alternating between painting that and building uh, a lot of stuff. I built... Uh, couple of Batman's things, uh, Killer Croc and two of the Mr. Freeze crew. Um, but back to AOS, I put together uh, Star Drake, uh, the Spike Claws, 
uh, box, the Fire Slayers box from Shadespire. I put together a Dragon Fate Deus, and I'll rock you on my Deus. And <laughs> I've got uh, a box of Citadel Woods to put together, too. Nice. Look at that. Yeah. I I haven't painted or finished a single model in the month of February. Um, wow. But that will change, because I actually started working on the Fire Slayers for Shadespire. And they're a bright orange plastic. I'm pretty sure everyone has seen them. I primed mine white, and they look like creamsicles. I like creamsicles. I'm going to do the same thing now. That's delicious. Yeah, but I'm not going to eat a dwarf. Or a dwarden. <laughs> it just, it's weird, bro. But And you're... Now you're, I'm, you telling me about snake juice, right? I got you. I got you. No, I, I got you. Wow. Whoa. Anyway, so I'm drink this coffee and get more, more hyper. <laughs> That's great. So I've got them uh, base coated for the most part, and hopefully I'll have them done by Holy Wars this weekend. Oh, that's this weekend. Yeah. Wow, man, Mama Lucia, I am behind on the times. Okay. Uh, this this is what happens when I do this whole week grading, 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 trying to get progress reports in. Ugh, what a long week. Uh, all right, what have I been doing? Are, are you was that all your hobby? I'm assuming that was all your hobby. Yeah, that's why I stopped talking. That's okay, but uh, you didn't say, so I didn't want to jump. Yeah, all yeah, yeah. Over fine, fine. All fine. right, so, um, oh, okay, a lot of a lot of carryover from last episodes. Uh, talking about the hobby. Um, so I got those. I found on eBay really cheap. They came from like China or something. Half millimeter drill bits, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, these half millimeter drill bits are bendy. Like that. Like if you're not careful, they will just bend. Not even break. Bend, right? Because they're so thin. And I like, can't get even my smallest pin vise will not hold them. But then I found another thing on uh, Amazon that they have them. But the 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 it's like. It's just like a thicker, you know, piece of metal, and then mm-hmm. it tapers down real quick at the end and, and goes into the drill bit, so you can hold it. You know, it's like a three millimeter wide base of me- that goes up to that, and you sell them in these little ten packs. Uh, and I've been drilling with them. So now here's the problem: a uh, half millimeter drill bit. You can totally, if you go slow, and I put it in a regular drill. Like I've got a really, I got a uh, Tommy. Um, Suggested it's like it's, it's like the cheapest drill they have at Walmart. It goes forward, it goes reverse. Uh, the chuck gets really chuck gets really tight. You can really tighten that up, right? Um, and it, and if you just pull that trigger just a touch, it goes real slow, and you can speed it up. So I've been using the drill to drill out stuff. Um, the half millimeter you want to go a little slow because I already broke one of them, but that'll actually drill holes in the bows and the arrowheads from the, the Stormcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem is, there's nothing I have thin enough to stick in there to pin. So I said, you know these useless bendy 5mm that I got like 10 for a buck from like China or wherever? Uh, I got like 12 of them left because I've been using them to stick in to use them as the pinning part because they're the, they're the perfect size. Sure. So uh, I fixed my arrows. I'm so excited. And I fixed a couple hammers. A couple hammers were unfixable, um, but I got that done. So that's like thing number one from last time that worked for me. Um, 
super tiny, totally works. You know, speaking of last episode, um, so <laughs> like after we put that episode out, like I got texts from people and I got emails from listeners and I had a couple of guys on the, the WhatsApp group I'm in and you know, people are like, Oh, you know, I heard your last episode. So sorry, you're not having any fun in the hobby lately. And I'm just like, what? Like, apparently I came off especially very negative last episode um, with the, taking the filthy lists and then ta- and then doing all that. And so going to Wapaka and basically being that guy and then uh, talking about how I didn't know what to do with the hobby and I was annoyed because certain models weren't getting changed and I didn't want to rebase them. Uh, I, I, and everyone's like, oh, we're so sad to hear that you're like having – I'm not having – like I got back from PACA and it's like I felt the exact opposite of how I came across because like I don't know what to do, but I'm doing something every day now. Like I'm totally – it's weird. I'm, I'm motivated, but I'm not it's, – it's, I'm not focused on anything, which is a weird sort of kind of – it feels a little like spinning your wheels motivation, but as you start to do certain things like – just things that I've been saying I want to get done. It's like, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'll just do this. And so many things are getting done. It's like, well, I could do this next, or I could do that next. And then I, that's helping bring back the uh, the focus. Yeah, yeah. the ADHDZ after Hacka is, I think it's a legit thing, because I've been so scattered and all over the place at the worst possible time, prepping oh. for Adepticon and everything. <laughs> so I get it. There's a we did a lot at PACA. There was a lot to take in, and the rush getting up to PACA takes a lot out of you. Oh yeah. So here here's what I've done since, and I've got my little book here that I that I've been logging all my hobby hours in, right, including prep for the show, editing the show, because I'm keeping track of everything I do this year. Like it's just it's it's helping me kind of focus. So let's see. We recorded on the fourth last time. So after, since that point, I spent about twelve hours doing hobbying, painting, or some sort of modeling, and a couple hours uh, editing and putting out the show. Uh, what did I do? So the Batman crew, I've got, I've got some base colors on them. I did the flesh tones on them, all of them. Uh, I did the gray pants and the gray on on the Sons of the Bat. I did the gray on the Batman. Uh, did this little wash, a little highlighting. I'm doing now the blue on all the jackets and the faces and the capes. Um, these are still the worst. Mo- their metal models from Nightmare are so bad. Robin is a mess. Like, there is none of the detail on her shirt at all. Like, I'm just going to do a flat color and see if I can't do something with it to touch it up. But at this point, it's like, this is not going to be anything like the picture. Because the actual, the, the whole torso is like, the detail is like, was just it was just messed up and I didn't even realize it. But um, until I started putting the base. Yeah, because I don't know what it is. If those models are just older than the rest of the range, because they're pretty like, old. Even the metal Mister Freeze crew that I have, their detail is great. And then the new resins, I'm looking at Croc right now, and it's stupid. Yeah, the Frank Miller ones. I maybe I got a bad batch or something. But I ordered these up, and they're all of them are a little. The uh, Green Arrow is fine. And the actual Sons of the Bat, those actual models are fine. But Carrie Kelly is kind of a, a mess. And the Frank Miller Batman's a little... There are parts of, like, he's got one of his fists is just... I mean, it looks... It's like, oh, that was not sculpted properly. Or there else it was a bad cast. I don't know. 
And I'm not trying to complain. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying this is what I'm painting with. And then I've been painting the blues on all the capes, and I've been trying to go in and do light layers to lighten it up on the cape, uh, adding washes back in. I've been going a little slow because I don't have anything to, you know. Like, I guess I got to get these guys done for uh, Adepticon, but it turns out I may not be able to play in the Batman uh, games at Adepticon. So I want to, but I may not be able to. Uh, mainly because I have no one around here who plays, and I can't get any practice in on this. So, like, I don't want to go to Adepticon having had, like, one game of Batman under my belt and be like, I'm going to actually play in a place where it's timed and i got to do well. So this is just a uh, one of these things where I love these models and I want to paint them, but I don't know if I'm going to do that. However, that's not the point. The point is I'm painting these models, right? Meanwhile, what else have I been doing? Uh, oh, the Lordordinator. Um, I got the Lordordinator, and I'm totally painting him up with the basic, you know, with the the gold pattern. Um, I like that model. That's a that's a sharp model. Lots of cool little details that you could play with on his stuff. Uh, I'm working on that. I got him about halfway done, and then there was another day. I'm like, I cannot paint anything. Like I couldn't paint him; he was dry. I couldn't stand to look at the Batman models anymore. Um, I built the two Shade Spire units. Um, then I said, I sat down and I pulled out all my skeletons and grave guard and I have this stuff called uncure and I just spray in the bases with uncure and you let it get wet and then you kind of, it's kind of, uh, once it, once it's sat for a while, all the sand and basing with that glue that just popped right off. So they were just on bare bases. Then I hit it with some uncure again, let that sit overnight, and then I was able to come in with an X-Acto knife and pretty much separate most of them from the bases pretty easily. Uh, a couple of little tips of the tiny feet broke off. Uh, I found I had 80 skeletons. I now have 60 skeletons, or maybe 65, somewhere around between 60, 60 and 65. Uh, some of these were just broken from before, back when I was playing with them in 8th edition. And it's like, nope, uh, I'm just going to order some new skeletons. You have the new style skeletons, the current ones, not the monkey fists, right? No, I have the current style, yeah. Okay. I have like five of the monkey fist ones. Like, I don't know how I got them, but I have them. Um, But those aren't, I'm not counting in the 65. So I ordered up from UGG four more boxes, so I'll have 100 skeletons. Awesome. This is a good plan. I like this. Uh, And I already have 40 Graveguard built and painted. I took them off the bases. Uh, and I have a box of grave. I thought I had skeletons. It was turned out another box of graveguard. So I can make fifty graveguard uh, if I want to build those and paint them. I'm thinking I got most of the paint is kind of off on them and the paint job. You know, this was like the best. Pa- oh, God, I haven't looked at this army in like two years. Like really looked at my models in like two years, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been doing all this painting, and I picked these up and I pulled them out, and I'm like, wow, because these are like the best paint jobs I had done up to that point, and like they're terrible. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not, they're not terrible. It's just you've advanced since them. They're they're yeah, they're like they're not great. Like you can see where I had dark green on the cloaks and then here this is where the lights hitting it so it's a lighter green. It's a very stark like it almost looks like that color by number. You know where you get that stark contrast because it just there's no blending or gradual anything in it. I'm just like, "Ugh, I think I'm just going to base oh, spray them all black again and start over." Uh, or spray them white. I don't care. I think I'm going to go with a whole different color scheme. I may repaint these. Now, this is not necessarily my next project. I don't know what is yet. I talked about that last episode. I don't know. But I know this. Um, 
un- rebasing needed to get started. It was never going to rebase itself because I'll tell you what happened since then. They'll talk about hobby, like just the rush going on. Uh, I pulled out some green stuff. I mashed it all up. I pulled out that stupid roller I bought forever ago from Green Stuff World, and I started rolling that out to make bases. Then I realized I didn't have anything to cut it in base size. I was like, oh, son of a gun. So I liked how it looked. Uh, I didn't like that the green stuff completely like bonded to the piece of tile that I used for my hobbying. Like That stuff gets got sticky quick. Uh, so I was like, eesh. So I grabbed some wax paper and... Uh, I was going to start over again, but I went on Amazon and I was looking up 25 millimeter, like round, you know, ring, something to punch like little 25 millimeter circles into the clay. And what I found was uh, for making mini pastries, they got like a baking set. So they're that, that, that they're, they're a nice, uh, nice steel uh, rings and uh, they're uh, stick-resistant and all that stuff. And they range from one inch to three and a half inches, and there's 11 of them. So they're like everyone's a, qu- a quarter-inch difference b- between an inch and three and a half. So it's right about 25 mil, and it goes up to even bigger. So uh, that's coming from Amazon tomorrow. So sometime this week I am going to... Uh, whip up a, another big old pile of green stuff, roll it out like crazy, and then just start stamping out bases. Because I don't want to even start skeletons or any other thing unless I'm doing some custom basing. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stretch. Because I don't have any games at Adepticon. So all of this, when I make this decision, this is going to be my, I'm going to have it for uh, Wapaka Army. So mm. I'm going I'm to try to, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring the heat as much as I can to Wapaka with my next army. See? So that's I ordered all that stuff up. I've been put, trying all this stuff. I have not uh, finished any one thing I've started in the last two weeks, but I'm doing a lot. So that's, you know, like I'm so excited for this. I don't know exactly which one I want to paint next or what I want to do, but uh, if I decide to go undead, I've got a bunch of work to do, and I'm at least getting set up for it. And uh, if I decide to go with... Warden, I got a bunch of that too, so I can go that way. So, but that's all of my long and really gone too long uh, hobby progress. Um, so sorry about that. Uh, what about gaming? You got any gaming going? You had any games in that you can talk about? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so two weeks ago, so it's the weekend before. Uh, Valentine's Day, I went to a tournament run by a good friend, uh, Greg Dupuy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at LodgeCon, which was down in snowy Piatone, Illinois. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. If you go to the middle of nowhere wow. in eastern Illinois, whoa. If you don't know where it is, that's okay. <sighs> yeah, it made a sudden noise right there. But, um, so, Greg put on a tournament at a con out there. It's mostly like cosplay, Pathfinder, a lot of stuff like that. But he put on an Age of Sigmar event, and we had uh, 12 people show up for that. That was nice. I got to borrow John Wenger's Slanesh, which I really appreciate the loner. So I got to do a game against a mixed order uh, being played by Alex K. from Chicago. Uh, Then I got to play Patrick Gannon, Playing an all Minotaur or Bulgor list, the Warherd type stuff. 
that was like 130, 140 wounds worth of cow. Wow. Yeah, there was a lot of cow. And then on top table, I ended up playing against Carson Burns and his Fire Slayers. And I will tell you, I went and made a proper ass of myself playing against Carson. Um, how? I lost my, I lost it. Like, I legit lost it because for two reasons, the first of which is the smallest part of it. I screwed up in the game. We were playing Scorched Earth and I had the option to go first and I didn't because I thought playing against his army would be better to go for the double turn instead of what I should have done, which is push my stuff forward to back up all three of his tunneler units. Oh boy. So yeah, I misplayed it for starters and then I don't know what it is, but every Fire Slayer I play finds 10, 11, 12, 37 inch charges and I just lost it. It's just, and then when you get into combat with Fire Slayers, they're just really frustrating because they're so hard to move. Yes, they are. And they just kill everything. And I just made a complete ass of myself. And I apologize profusely. I reached out to him again the day after, and I haven't heard back from him. But um, I just felt like I made a complete jackass of myself, and I feel really bad about it. Um, so in any event, I ended up taking third on my first three games of Slanesh, so that was kind of weird. And then over the weekend, I got to play three more games, losing to Fire Slayer, or, uh, Stormcast Eldritch Council, of all things, uh, which is a really interesting, obscure one. It, it was like <laughs> 50 Swordmasters, two dragons, and a bunch of mages. Wow. Yeah, it was actually a really interesting army. I hadn't played it before, and... They could put out some work. And then I got to play against Carajon Overlords for the first time against one of our new guys in the community, Jesus. And hi, Jesus, I know you listen. Um, and it was an absolute riot. He doesn't. He didn't play the clown car. He played his own Skyport. Okay. And it was actually really fun and really enjoyable game. Cool. So... And then we've got Holy Wars this weekend, and I don't know what I'm taking right now. Uh, because I was supposed to take John's Slanesh army, but with the weather over the weekend, I slipped in the parking lot leaving the store while carrying John's army. So his army's in a couple of pieces. He says he's going to be able to fix it by this weekend, but I don't know. So we'll have to see how it goes. We'll cross our fingers and wish John good luck. Yeah. And then for those listening, just a quick plug, on the 4th of March, Black Dog Hobby and Game Out in Loves Park is hosting a Shadespire day. So the whole day is supposed to be about doing learning games of Shadespire, playing Shadespire with all the new crews and everything. So if you're available on the 4th, we're going to get started about 1 at Black Dog Hobby and Game in Loves Park. Is and that, that's all I got. Every, okay, just making sure. Um, I just got to play some Shadespire. I've been playing with the Skeletons, and then I played a game with the with the Fire Slayers, and I like those. Once you kind of get a feel for how to play them, um, I'm enjoying them. 
Uh, oh, hey, I found my my Warhammer book, and I know this is from last time, but when we were at Pack and I played in the one the, the one day that you ran um, after Trunzo, I played Bryce Schultz uh, and his. Uh, and his stormcast, and I just I couldn't remember who it was last time, and I I went afterwards and I dug up the book, and I'm like, oh, there it is. So, I to just I had a great game against him, and I just wanted to say that because I totally forgot last time and felt like a jerk. Um, but that's about Checks all. Out. Yep, that's about all I've been uh, playing because uh, I've been either hobbying or grading papers. I think that's it. That sounds like it. Uh, that sounds like it for me, too. So um, should we just go grab a quick commercial break and then do Malign Portance? Uh, yeah, probably. All right. So we'll take a break right here, and we will be back uh, with all the new stuff from the new book that's all new and awesome and cool, and you're going to love it. Of course you will. Okay. Be back. Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. back here we are right here with you right now malign portents the nice black and green and gray book here um was not as big as i thought it would be no it was quite a bit i was expecting a little more to be honest with you i was too and i guess that's because i was used to those uh, early campaign books from when when AOS first dropped, so yes, this was a little bit thinner than what I had expected. Uh, then, well, you mean you, after you read this, then you if you like I said, if you read the Legions and the Gash Battle Tome, you can see they left a lot of it out of here to put into there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is more of like a companion piece for the. What do you call it? The Legions and the Gash Battle Tome. The battle, there's yeah. so much in there that this fills in. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, they both flesh each other out nicely, but individually, this is a little bit thin. Um, I do like the look of the book. It wasn't all that expensive. I don't think. No. And Um, realistically, when we get into it, this is a book you're going to want to own anyway. Yeah. No, I like the book. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I, I, I was, I was, I was not as satisfied as I was with other books. Although there was so much cool stuff in here. Like I'm excited to play this. 
This is yes, the type of stuff I, think I this like is to do. More like the playing companion versus the background companion that we had with the Realm Gate Wars. Right. Um, and I, I think I like this. This uh, it's simpler than Firestorm. Like you don't have to play a whole like map campaign. This is just ways to play in this realm during this time. Like, and you could take or leave what you want, but you can just add it to straight up basic games without going uh, going deep into uh, you know entire campaigns. So, is this something you could see take off at a tournament? Uh well, the the biggest difference is that you're you get uh, you'd have to you have to have one of these four character models in order you to don't get have to, but it would help, right? Or you could just have wizards to do this. Yeah, it helps better. Are these basically aren't these like stratagems from forty k? They are very much like command points and stratagems. Yeah, except uh, you which... just, except you get them for having certain characters or holding certain things. We'll get into that later, but that's what it reminded yeah. me of, and it was fun. Um. Like I said, plus you've got these realm, you know, rules for fighting in the realm. But they used to call them time of war, which never quite made sense to me because it's just, you know, it's it's more like realms of war than time of war. But um, be that as it may, uh, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff in here for if you just want to play in the realm of death. Uh, you know, stuff that could really that that can really. Um, Throw some interesting stuff in your games. I, I don't know necessarily how well it would work in a tournament, though, or at least I don't know how easy it would be to keep it uh, fair for all players and balanced mm-hmm. uh, if you put this in. That, I guess that would be my one concern, that people would be upset, you know, because you would have to you know, build your army in with this with these in mind. Like if, that, if you knew ahead of time, I'm certain you could do it. I'm certain it would be, it would be cool. It would be fun. But if you can't build your army to it, or you don't want to build your army to it, then you're going to have an uphill battle. It may not be so fun. Mm-hmm. What about you? I don't know. I think it's got legs, personally. Um, sure, taking one of the Harbingers is a big deal, but I think even without one, it makes it adds an extra element to the game that maybe the game is missing right now. But I don't know. We're definitely going to be doing some playing of this, and oh, yeah. really excited for it. Yeah. Well, here let's uh, let's jump into the story portion, shall we? It's, yeah, I should start with the good stuff. Now it's pretty thin. Uh, yes. And by thin, I just mean it's not that long. It only goes up to page what twenty, like uh, what thirty-five. Yeah, it's not a lot. In- Starts on page eight, so or, or something like that. So yeah, so we're looking at it's only about you know twenty-eight. 27 pages, uh, and, and obviously, when we say 27 pages, you know half of those pages are like two-thirds pictures, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so it's not that deep. I did think it was an interesting way to present it, because as I started reading the first part, I'm like, okay, they're telling Sigmar's story again. Like, I, I get it. If this is the first time you're picking up this book, you still need to know, a, you know, um, they, they give you a slightly... Uh, you know, it's not. I'm not saying a different take, but just maybe worded it in a way I hadn't thought about it before. You know, it talks about how the eight realms were born from the destruction of the world that was. Um, and I've talked about that before. That's just that Teclis is breaking the magic, or the the elves breaking the magic into eight essential parts. Now, all of these parts 
form their own place. Uh, there is some interesting stuff in there uh, if you go into the details of it, if you're interested in the actual world building. Um, but it's, you know, it goes through that whole thing. Sigmar's Grand Alliance won't last. Um, what I thought was interesting is uh, now they get to this part, now they're sort of filling in little bits like, all right, now you all know this, and you all know what happened, and you all followed the Realm Gate Wars. What you didn't know was happening at the same time over in the Realm of Death was this. So rather than just adding to stuff, they're going back and, and sort of going back to that story and plugging in all the little, starting to fill in the little blank spots all around so you can see where other things happened. Uh, and I kind of like that. Uh, and I didn't even think about it. Of course, um, Nagash's power is growing when the Realm Wars start because there's a lot more death happening. So as more bodies start, start, you know, or as more spirits start flooding in, his power's growing. Also, he was totally trapped underneath, like, something from the old world. When he got into the realm of death, he was not actually, after, he, after the, the world that was was destroyed, he was buried and locked under this, you know, all this stuff. Sigmar freed him, which is the only reason he agreed to join the the. The Order Coalition, anyway. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, Sigmar freed him, and then so now he's been freed. But all this death starts coming in. Um, now you get this little bit of this story where you're finding out uh, there's only two people who know about this plan. It's Nagash and Archon, and so they give you a little bit of information about the realms and how they work and. I think we should cover that a little bit before we get to this story because it makes the story just make even more insane sense. Uh, So each each bits of the Winds of Magic coalesces into a realm, and around each realm is all this unaligned magic that's the void or the great nothing. So it's like there's big big empty areas of unaligned magic between each realm of magic. Uh they talk about how the essence of the realm shapes its form and the spirits of those who dwell there. So people who are born into a certain realm, um, it's so steeped in that magic that will actually affect their their personalities and their character, which I liked that. It made sense. It's not like, oh, what a coincidence. These guys landed in the perfect place for their for the, what they're like. No, they were bred there, and they've sort of adapted with each other. Um, and a lot of them are... Like relocated from Azir, yeah. As Sigmar has come back, or when he was building the Pantheon and inhabiting all of these realms, a lot of these folks are originally Azirites, which are now taking on this new mentality. Uh huh. Um, after he comes back with the great with the during the Realm Gate Wars, there's big cities being built again. Um, the free people start worshiping Sigmar again. Um, they talk about uh, Hammer Hall and the you know the double city. Uh, the Stormcast Citadels get mentioned in here, which I like. Like out of the that uh, the one the the story the uh, sh- the shadows city of secrets or city of secrets. Yeah, that's it. And spear of shadows. Uh, yeah, so a city of secrets. It was. Thank you for getting them keeping that. I couldn't even remember them all. 
but they talk about the storm keeps and how they guard all the retaken realm gates and all this stuff. And then um, you find out all this stuff, and it's like, okay. One of the things is that the realms, you know, they're formed of all this magic. So what's going on in Nagash's realm? Well, in the realm of death where he's gone to, which I like. The, okay, um, total sidestep here. This book points out that the and so does the, uh, the battle tome. The realm of death is not the realm of undeath. It's the realm of death. And that what happens in the realm of death is that the when the people die, like when enough people believe in a specific type of afterlife, it forms in its own sort of section of this realm. And so, like, if you believe in, you know, this certain type of heaven then and there's all these believers, then when you die, that's where you go. If you believe that you're going to go into a realm of punishment, that's where you go. And so there's, like, all sorts of little subplaces in these realms where these people go. It's a whole vast network of underworlds yeah. and different gods or spirits that inhabit them, but it's all coalesced into the realm of death in yeah. addition to the inhabitable space. Right. And it talks about how the inhabitants there, people who, who actually were born and live in the realm of death, I mean, it's not like a horror, hor- it's not like a terribly horrible place, at least not at first. Um, they, you get used to spirits being around. They're just a way of life. And the undead and or the, the, the dead, I mean, it talks about how people uh, live with the spirits of dead relatives, that the spirits can actually come back and they stay and they live with their families in some of these places. Um, but one of the things you find out is um, all the different realms have realm stone, which is basically, you know, coalesced magic attuned to that realm. And it takes different forms. Uh, it's more of a, like a coal type thing in Akshi. Uh, it's different in the realm of life. And in the realm of death, it's grave sand. And they talk about grave sand. And this is kind of uh, an important thing because this is what Nagash, or Nagash is uh, collecting. And he basically talks to Arkan and says, we need to bring all this stuff here. Now, this is the part of the story that I think is really kind of fun is that um, Nagash basically tells them, uh, what, here's what you have to do. You need to go and uh, get all of this this uh, grave sand and this little bit of sand that is like connected to people's lives and stuff like that. Like if you can go to that area and find that grains of sand that are part of yours, you can put it in a, you know, a thing and you, you make it flow backwards and keep your life going. There's just all sorts of weird stuff about this, but most of it is gathered around the edges of the realm. Okay. Most people live yeah, in the center. And most of the inhabitable space is in the middle. Yeah, people live in the center of this realm, farthest away from the from the real death magic. Things don't grow that close to real concentrated death magic. Uh, things are less safe near all this concentrated death magic. So people live in the center, and all this um, realm stone, which, like I said, is in the form of grave sand, is all around the edges of the realm. So uh, basically, Nagash says, "Listen, I want that realm stone." I need. I have a plan, and the only person who knows about this plan is is Arcan the Black, and he tells him, "Listen, we need to get that, and it's dangerous to get that. Like if you go out there, like humans, like they being too close to this stuff, it, it'll kill you." 
And being too close to too much of it will kill you. And it can mess with time and with your lifespan and all that stuff. Um, so he's like, I don't care how long it takes. I want this stuff. So he is sending out skeletons in these groups. And it describes them almost as lines of ants at a picnic, right? And they're mm-hmm. going out to the edges of the realm and coming back and sifting through all the regular sand to find the, the grave sand that's, you know, that's actually made of realm stone. And the skeletons can walk back one grain. Because that's all of that, the magic in it. That's all that they can carry back and contain. So one and grain, even then, they can't even contain it. Sometimes, right? Yeah, it could destroy some of them. In which case, another skeleton just picks up the grain and keeps going. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't care how long it takes because Ark and the Blacks like this. That'll take. That could take thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. And he's like, uh, I don't care. Uh, where am I going? Where are you going? So you have this happening now, and it says the skeletons walk out to the edge of the realm, and it says 10,000 leagues or more. Now, I looked that up because I didn't know how long a league was. Do you know how long a league is? Um, no. It's about three and a half miles. Okay. So the skeletons walk, and I figured this out just so uh, I have it written here. The skeletons go um, to get this in. They walk. Uh, where do I have it written down? I'm looking for it right now. They walk uh, uh, some stupid distance. I think it's like 30, well, it's over 35,000 miles one direction to get the the realm stone. Okay? So in kilometers, it's over like 50, 55,000 kilometers. That's one direction. It's basically one and a half, almost one and a half times around the earth. It's like one point. I think four or something like that times around the earth. So to go there to get the one grain and come back, they've all, it's, it's as if you would have circled the the equator like three times almost. Just mar- marching skeletons. Go there, grab a grain, come back. Go there, grab a grain, come back. And Gash has thousands and thousands of skeletons doing this, and they bring it to him, and he is uh, turning it to glass. And using it to build stuff. And this is just this crazy bit of planning that he's doing. And as he's doing this, um, he doesn't even realize. Nagash has decided to settle right near the... He sets up Nagashazar in the center of the realm, near where the people are and stuff like that. Uh, Because this way he can kind of keep a control over everything that's happening. And right. so he's sending them to the edges to grab this stuff. So he's actually, this realm must be huge because he's sending them from the center to the edge. And it's still, that trip is almost three times around the earth from the center to the edge and back. So, okay, it's just crazy. Um, it's also shifting the, 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 the actual makeup of the realm itself because whereas the center of the realm usually was not heavy in magic at all. It has now become the most concentrated part of magic in the realm because he's been basically taking these bits from the edges and, and dragging them to the center to work on. Um, and that's his big plan. His big plan is to, he's, I mean, he, well, basically he's turning them into the shade glass. And I saw that and I actually was like, wait, shade glass? He's literally turning this stuff into shade glass? Because then what does that have to do with... Uh, Shade Spire? Like, yeah, like, uh, like, the, is that did did he invent Shade Glass? Because they they've got the stuff 
in Shades Fire, but it's like, wait, did, did they know? I'm how just to- wondering if he's taking the technology or the process for refining shade glass and taking it to a larger scale. It's possible, but he- which is what I think he's doing. Okay, so not all shade glass is from him. No, because the shade the shade fire is in the realm of, of death. Re- is in the realm of death. But the, oh, the cataphrains were there before him, weren't they? Yeah, they were one of the civilizations that set up, and then they kept the souls in all of the. F- oh, okay, you're shade right. You're glass. right. So what this stuff does is it's coalescing all of that magical energy, all of the souls, and what we haven't gotten to yet is Nagash is angry about something. And he is angry because Sigmar is denying him his tithe of souls. Because he's keeping all the Stormcast souls and reanimating them into new warriors during the process of the reforging. So all this death is going on, but Sigmar has taken these souls and Nagash feels that they are his and his alone. So this is him coming back and saying, no, all souls are mine and I will prove it to you that they are mine. And I think that's kind of missing from here because that's in Legions of Nagash. Yeah, there's a little bit about, about that, that in here. So. There's a little bit about that in here. Um, and we'll get to that uh, uh, part about it. And it's um, they talk about it when they talk about the uh, the, knight, the Knights of Shrouds. Yeah. So. But, yeah, no, this is – and this is great because – this plan that what he's doing, it's, he's putting the Black Pyramid together, and he puts it together upside down. And there's a weird mention of the way that the different, when a new realm of death, like when a new a new religion crops up or a new afterworld crops up, they tend to stack and overlap in weird ways, almost like an upside-down pyramid from the, from the description. Mm-hmm. Um, which may be how he gets the idea to do the Black Pyramid upside down. But that thing is actually focusing and flowing and channeling energy from the etheric void, which is that area of unaligned magic between the realms. He's tapping into that magic as well as the magic of death. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because it's just moving all of this power into a different into a different uh place which i'm just like oh this is i oh boy i this is pretty cool in fact here it says uh his allies and enemies fully appreciate that by gathering such a vast amount of grave sand at a single point, he's ensured that the greatest concentration of magical energy is no longer at the edge but at the center. It's a work of cosmic ambition that, if allowed to reach completion, would have truly horrific consequences. Like, he's reshaping the entire land of death. Like, I'm just waiting to see, like, is this just a first step? Is there? I mean, I'm 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 hoping there's more. There's there's a lot more to this story because uh, more than just going and fight. I mean, than an excuse because this is setting up way more than just an excuse to go fight in Nagash's realm. This is he could be changing the very fabric of the realms with the nonsense he's pulling right here. Right, uh, and this is what is leading to all of the portents, the signs that something is wrong, and that they're exactly. all pointing to the realm of death and. Some of the portents that they talk about, and we're kind of flipping back and forth here. I know I sort of jumped ahead, but the story—that part of the story—is like the coolest thing. Like his, right. 
Like his plan is crazy. His plan has been going on for thousands of years. Since Sigmar Freedom, even when he was working with Sigmar on the side, he's reshaping this realm. Like he, uh, he's seriously. I know before we joke around about people playing the long game. He's playing the long game here. Nagash has always been that way, though, because he's always been an immortal amongst mostly mortals. Yeah, um, but now he's facing off with chaos and Sigmar and all these others who are rightfully gods as 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 he is. Um, yeah, and even in the world that was Nagash has always been the schemer. He always plays the long game. He waits thousands of years between each of his reawakenings, and it takes that much time for him to gather his power, but he doesn't care. Nope. Time means nothing to someone like Nagash, and he's always been a backstabber. It doesn't matter the situation. He is always like the arch-traitor, as it were, because of who he is. He's always been petulant. He's always been jealous of the success of others and feeling like he's more entitled to things. Yeah, if you so, read the the Nagash trilogy, uh, the old one that talks about him by and, Mike Lee. Yeah, it's great. Um, it is. I would say if I had, if I did have a criticism of it, it was that we don't get as much of what pushes him to be so. Like he's just. Even in, before he becomes Nagash, back when he was just his brother was the you know the the pharaoh or whatever they were calling him, and he was the you know the first wasn't he the firstborn? It was like the firstborn is the priest and the second one is the yeah. king. Because yeah, the priest, that's how it worked in the royal family. Yeah, because the they they considered the priesthood actually more important than that. But he wanted to be the king, and he didn't want to be the priest. And I mean, he was kind of a sociopath like just a little but i mean i mean and i don't mean like a psychopath like where he just likes to like he just doesn't care like doesn't care about killing people he just doesn't care about anybody but himself and his own ambitions and his own desires everything else is secondary correct and it it leads to the most i mean he is just uh, of of I think he's one of the most just mentally uh, just his whole life just led to this weird mass obsession about ruling everybody. And every time he's able to bring himself back, it seems it's it's become a mania with him. Like his plan, kill everything in the world so that he controls all of it. And it all just works and is in order like that's a horrible horrible place and not just because everything's under his command it's like but everything is dead yeah with death being as rampant as he wants it to be it's perfect order yeah so death is order taken to the extreme yeah so they're him and sigma are very similar but the ends are different i feel yeah well, of course, because there's one where there's order of people agreeing to live together in harmony and agreeing to work, and then there's one where everybody's dead and they're completely mindless. You know, uh, just I ra- look, I raised back all the. It's just, it's a. He's 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 like the craziest person I think in these sto- in 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 this in these worlds because his plan is so. It's just insane. Like it's. 
Yeah, okay, it makes sense on a purely logical level. It makes sense. On every other level, it's like, wow, what is the matter with you? Um, and I'm just, I'm so excited. When I was reading this, I'm going, oh, wow. Like, learning all this stuff that's happening in the realm of death and some of the cool stories that went in here. I'm like, this is really great stuff, even though there's not a ton of it. Um, basically, I... Uh, and they, uh, let's you know, let's, let's kind of cover what starts happening. You know, so he's moving all that, he's moving all that realm stone, right? All that grave grave sand, and he's turning it into these things. And now he's got the great pyramid, and it's shifting the unaligned magic in the void. And this is where all of a sudden all the portents start happening. This, this is where we have a title, ladies and gentlemen. These are when all of the malign portents begin. And it talks about how in the first month. You have certain things happening. I'm trying to find it right here, real quick. Um, it talk uh, the first month saw strange omens and dark prophecies emerge. Uh, a farmer would shuck an ear of maize to find out rolls of corn kernels, but scatterings of human teeth. A maid would milk her cow and find them yielding only blood. Herdsmen ran for dear life as their wild-eyed livestock stampeded in rabid confusion. So this is going on. Entire villages, the entire populations disappeared overnight. Um, travelers seeking succor would reach hamlets and townships only to find their inhabitants comatose, yet floating at waist height in the air or sleeping unwakeable under their beds. Millers awoke at dawn to find the sails of their windmills inextricably strung with corpses, and palace servants found bloody footprints appearing from nowhere to mar freshly scrubbed flagstones. That's not just omens. I mean, there's just dead people suddenly tied up to your windmill in the morning. It's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Um, you find ears of teeth instead of ears of corn? Like, this is... Like just craziness starts happening the first and that's just the first month the second month that's when all the death starts spirits are leading people to their death like the will of the wisps knives just throw themselves at their owners out of their butcher blocks that's always a great thing uh now, okay all right here this one cracks me up i don't this um so apparently corpses will reach up out of their graves and grab people by the ankles right and they don't let go. And then apparently somehow these people die. And then they come back and they're grabbing at people. And it literally, oh, this is so goofy. I just keep picturing this in my head. Hold on. Uh, graveyards would come alive. Skeletal hands reaching from the earth to grab at the ankles of passersby and would not let go. In such places, victims turned into living corpses too, grabbing at those who came after them until chains of cadavers spanned many boneyards. So you get grabbed by the ankle and somehow that kills you. Well, wouldn't you die eventually from like starvation, dehydration? Yeah, but were you walking through the cemetery alone or you're screaming for help? No one's going to come and pull you free of this hand? I'm like... It's just like, oh, my God, I guess not. So, Or you just die of fright. But then you come back, and I'm walking through, and now you grab my ankle, and I die. And then I grab Phil's ankle, and he grabs Lindsay's ankle. And then that guy grabs, uh, grabs you know, the next guy's. So they've got, like, just all these people being held, you know, ankle to wrist here. Uh, chains of them coming out of the graveyard. I have a question. Yes? How does a hockey puck have an ankle? Oh, it doesn't have to be that, Lindsay. They don't play hockey in, in the realm of death anyway. It's we don't boring know that. there. I do know that. 
Okay. They bowl. They like roll the skeleton heads at the skeleton bones. Boo. Just like in the Mickey Mouse cartoons. Just go with it. Shut up. Um. <laughs> wow. So, okay. Cool. <laughs> now here's the thing. Even Sigmar. Like these these weird omens are happening, and everyone's like, "Well, that's some weird crap. Don't know what to do about it." And then, Fandis uh, Hammerhand wakes up from more of his visions, and he goes to talk to Sigmar, and he's like, "This is really bugging me." And so Sigmar listens to him, and 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 hears what he has to say, and uh, he's kind of quiet for a while, and then he goes up to go up to the skies. Uh, and here's where the story gets gets interesting from the human point of view. Um, let's see. He rose to his feet and walked from the throne room toward the high stair of Sigindil. And he goes up from the Sigmarabulum or whatever it's called. And uh, so here's what he does. Uh, he reaches into the sky and grabs a bunch of meteors <laughs> or other space things. And though it... Oh, okay, this particular line. Did you notice this one here? Legend has it that though it burned him in body and soul, he took the brightest celestial bodies from the great vault of the heavens, scooping them from the skies in one great motion and hurling them with all his might across the cosmos. Burned his body and his soul? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that bad? Like, that doesn't sound good to me. It can't be good. No, I'm wondering if this is going to come back later. Like, if because that's got to be a. I mean, unless he's just oh, you know, he's Sigmar, he healed. They all do; they're gods. But wow, it didn't just say it burned his hands or burned his body, or we know it burned him in his soul to do this. Like, why? Like, what was that? Like, did, I mean, did that jump out at you, or am I the it only one? Did but I'm wondering if it's like the burn that he's talking about is like the burn of, like, loss and that he has to destroy something he has in order to figure something out. Maybe. Like, that kind of burn. But, I mean, hurling a celestial body, I can't imagine, especially if it's a magically attuned celestial body that he's kind of like the coalesced center of. I can imagine that that kind of separation would leave some sort of impact. Okay, see, thank you for clear, because that, okay. Uh, but basically what he does, he lobs all these things down, and they all land in the center of places controlled by order. Okay? They're not they're not weapons, per se. He's not, like, he's not bombarding the realms to attack Chaos or attack Nagash. So he throws them down, and they're, they're made with a whole bunch of realm stone in them. And so they've been thrown into our areas so that, so that, so that his people... Can use that to help scry and read the read the omens and the portents that are coming through, and understand better what's happening uh, because we all have to be ready to fight whatever this is that's coming. That's a cool thing. Nobody knows what's coming. Hmm. Like Ash does, but right. But everybody else, else everybody else knows something bad is happening, and they know what's happening there, and they know it's because of him. Nobody knows what it is. Um. There's a couple of pages here that go through the chaos uh, portions of it. Uh, what? Uh, but for, well, first, they describe what the heck a Lord Ordinator is. Yeah, we should probably do that because they're kind of key to the Warscryer Citadel, right? Which is what they eventually build. Yeah, which are these massive observatories, battlements, 
and and they're made poison. and there's realm stone laced all through them. So it's it's mm-hmm. basically yeah, it's this huge citadel, but it's not just used for defense and for the battles. It's also to help them understand what is happening better. Um, oh, okay. By the way, uh, did uh, did Sigmar Astral project to get up there or something? Because it almost sounds like he did. He said he made some impossible climb up a sheer cliffs to get up to where he did to throw that stuff. I guess that's not important. Um, but I was just reading going, ooh, what is happening there? Um, mm-hmm. But so the Lord Ordinators, they're basically Stormcast officers who re- – those are the guys who get sent in to reinforce the territory that Sigmar won in the Realm Gate Wars. So these are basically like Stormcast engineers, aren't they? Yeah, they serve two parts. The yes. first of which is the arcane engineer. So this is the buildings, construction, working with the different – Man and Dwarden and I would imagine some elf work crews to bolster cities, reinforce walls, and protect structures by ensorcelled pieces, ensorcelled artillery pieces of Sigmarite and blessed steel. So these are the guys that are working with the Ironworld arsenal and yes. this place into their war skull later. And the second duty that they have is the prophet to interpret the signs. Be- Scry the stars, and that's where the war scryer citadels come in. Yes, to help help them in that task. I like the part where it says where they have to walk a line between being a visionary seer and a rational mathematician. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they don't just over, and it's not just the war scryer citadels. It talks about how they oversee the construction of any structure that's going to bear the sign of the twin-tailed comet. If Sigmar's mark is going to be on it, they're making sure every stone is the right spot, every corner is is you know is right, every little sacred mosaic, every bit of scripture, everything channels the power and energy of Azir. So they're there making sure that it all works, it's put together properly, and that's their gig. Um. But after they describe this, they don't go on to describing all the other guys um, that came out. They jump to chaos really quick, which is a little bit important because of how the whole the de- the, the doomed march happens. So, once again, happening over thousands of years, this plan, right? So it's it's coming in slowly, and as the plan actually starts to come together near the end, and really starts to mess with the with the winds of magic the chaos gods recognize what's going on. And they all have, I thought, interesting reactions. Um, Korn sees skulls getting reaped for him, uh, but then he has visions of skulls being reaped, skulls that were already reaped before. So you ooh, I'm dead. But no blood. There's no blood. And he gets mad because he wants blood for the blood god as well as skulls for the skull throne, not just skulls for the skull throne. There's always got to be blood, apparently. So he gets mad, and he takes one of the skulls off the skull throne and crushes it into splinters and, like, whips it out into the mortal realms. And it hits a lot of his followers, and it embeds itself into their brains. And it's basically a bit of the skull from the skull throne, so it puts them in almost like a permanent rage to, like, to like he's like, oh, fine, you're looking at a future with no blood? I will guarantee you there will be blood. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he does. Uh, meanwhile, Zinch is out there sort of playing with the threads of fate and reality, and some of them start breaking and turning to dust as he's watching. And he's looking at that, and he's like, this, you know, turning to dust. 
uh, this decay, this stasis start to coalesce as the future. And so he's horrified by that, and he starts getting to work. He's like, nope, this, I can't have this happening. He starts moving and manipulating strings all over to keep the future from... Yeah, if anyone could destroy Zinch, it would be uh, Nagash doing that to the to the universe. Um, meanwhile, Nurgle is sitting there, and he's working in his... I love him. this one. Take this one if you've got it. Okay. So Nurgle is essentially naturally doing what he does making more plagues and everything, and then something changes. He sees the cycle of life and death being ended, and he sees skeletal corpses marching along in long columns. They're not properly alive, but not fertile ground to host, like, maggots and the diseases. And... He's tasting his potion, and it, he can taste dust in it. Like it's something's wrong with even the stuff that the, not the potion, but the plagues he's he's brewing up are not working right. Mm-hmm. And uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. So the edge of the cauldron, which is fashioned like a snake consuming its own tail, comes to life and starts coughing up his own tail because the cycle is ending. And that's like the snake biting its tail, is that it's a never-ending thing. So Nurgle has to, like, push it back together, yeah. making it work. It's like, no, this is not going to happen. And that's what Nurgle is about. And sees that something's happening and needs to get addressed. And he sees... Wait, I just had it and I lost it? Good. Cool. Um, and then Slanesh... We've not had Slanesh mentioned in a long time. Not for a while. No. So now we have Slanesh, and we don't know where he is, or it is, but it does mention that his lips are chain-pierced, which is not good. Yucky. And he's bellowing panic against his penumbral chains. As he goes through everything, because he sees the end of everything, the end of enjoyment, the end of, like, that frenzy, the excess. It's all gone. Yeah, because everything's dead and just standing around waiting for Nagash to give it a job. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And, like, like, how we were talking, like, Nagash is like a megalomaniac. Slanesh could feel its need. It's megalomania drawed towards obsessions that it could never escape, which is death. There's no sensation for death. There's no excess. And he... It's just weird that Slanesh could barely bring himself to conceive of the horror thrashing in his mad, bellowing panic against his penumbral chains. It would be dull. Yep, that's so great. And he can't have that. Yeah, there's no there's no emotional roller coaster of any sort. Everything's flat. That would be horrible for him. Mm-hmm. I love the different motivations that they make sure everybody gets attributed something and that something's happening here. Mm-hmm. And then they mention like finishing up with Slanesh, they mention the penumbral chains. That yes. sounds like shadow. Yeah, I guess it does. Because even in the world that was, they had the penumbral pendulum in the lore of Shadow. And if you're going to hide something, 
like a god somewhere, I would imagine it would be the realm of shadow. Because it hides everything. I mean, yeah, heck, it's hidden the Daughters of Cain for a very long time. That is true. So, I don't know. I think we're going to start seeing that get wrapped up, too. Finally. And then they talk about the Great Horned Rat. Yes. Which, for him, it's just... He sees a rival. Because the Great Horned Rat seeks to destroy everything. And to take his place. And there's no destruction. There's no desolation with Nagash or the death. It's a rival for power, which is what the Great Horn Rat desires the most. Yeah. And Nagash is that rival for power. And it even says here, if the cosmos was to turn to utter ruin, it would be him and him alone that would ensure it. So if someone's going to burn the whole world down, the whole thing, it has to be him, not Nagash. Exactly. That's that's just great. That's his complaint. You're not burning down without me. Yeah. And that's who the rat is. He's, I think he's even more of a megalomaniac than Nagash is, but not by much. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, let's see. Then he goes into, I'm looking at here in my notes. Um, so everyone wants to stop Nagash, obviously, as you said, uh, and they all know they have to go to Shyish, and that's where we sort of get up to here. Um, I want to continue on this. I want to try to get through all the story before we take our next break. Um, so it tells you about Dark Oath War Queens, uh, proven warriors. They unite tribes through conquest. War chieftains becoming a king or queen. They become a queen. Uh, you take down a powerful demon. That's how you become the war queen. Otherwise, you're still just a chieftain. But these are guys who have proved themselves through tons of battles. Um, the one they describe in this story has one of the splinters of corn in her brain. Um, pushing her on to higher and better things. Um, but basically, I mean, I don't want to downplay it, but that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's it's your typical chaos mortal story. You know, you, yeah. you go and kill a lot of stuff and you become in charge. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get the fungoid cave shamans. And I'm going to let you take this because I know how much you love these guys. Yeah. And so- I'll tell you what, reading it? They're, they're, this is this is just crazy. Go ahead and tell it, but this is just crazy. Like I thought they were just wearing mushrooms in the model, and then I read this. I was like, whatever. No, the no. fungoid cave shaman is becomes so much with it that they begin to become host to colonies of mushrooms and other things. And their thing is, they eat the mushroom, and they gain this prophetic vision, like Moon Clan grads, night goblins have always been associated with hallucinogenic properties of various mushrooms, and this one in particular, Snazgar Stink Mullet, eats a death cap, or a death cap, let's use the correct vernacular, and he sees this vision of what's coming on, and things are dying everywhere, things are getting destroyed, and he's like, I need to tell the boys, because this looks like fun. And 
Now, these guys are like prophets. They see things, again, based on the hallucinogenic mushroom that they eat. So they're seen as mouthpieces of Mork, which is the cunning but brutal. Not brutal, but cunning. Yep. So they are the guys that the Oryx will listen to, Travis, everyone will just listen to this little weedy grot that is host to all of these mushrooms because he tells them where the fights are. And that's why they're going to Shayish. Yeah, this is so great. Okay. He is, they are war finders. These are the guys you can find. Now, and the death cap thing, they believe that that's part of their own spirits, but like the earth portion, so they can eat that and get more insight. But they don't just eat the death cap and get your hallucinations. These death caps, these mushrooms are so potent that they go directly to their brains. And now they're not just growing like mushrooms on their shoulders or out of the, you know, things like that. This isn't like, you know, those all those weird fish guys from the from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. This death cap makes the their brain, the fungus grows literally directly on and from their brain. And when it grows too large, it pushes through the skull. So when you see that model of the fungoid cave shaman and it looks like the top of his head he's wearing a giant mushroom cap hat, no, that hat is leading directly to his own brain because his skull is cracked open and that's growing out of it. I'm like, what? Like this is this is he's he's like part he's part mushroom. And they're almost immune to poison because of it, because they eat so much of this these poison mushrooms. These guys are crazy. And uh, that's all they want to do is just go off to war. I love, I love this, this, the backstory between this. I thought that was crazy. It's like, wait a minute, that's that's actually just fungus growing out of his own body. He's growing mushrooms from his own body because he's part mushroom now. He's ingested so much and has done so much change to his system. Yep. All right. Okay. I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Uh. So what else is going on here? Then we get to, oh, right. Um, so now we get to death on the winds. Uh, as is typical for Nagash, he's just about completed his plan, right? And rather than wait until the plan is completely done and there's no going back, he starts sending out his emissaries to people nearby who could be worthy servants of him. And look, if you just surrender now... You know, I could uh, I could give you a high post in one of my undead armies. And this is one of the things that start tipping off people, too. Yeah, Nagash has always been really arrogant. Oh, yeah. And assured of victory until it snatched right out of him. So for him to send out the knights, and these characters are... They're very, they reminded me very much of Nagash. Because they are betrayers to their own kin. That's how they become this powerful character. Yeah, the Knight of Shrouds, exactly. Not, so he's sending out, he's got a lot of his heralds are night haunts, but then these Knights of Shrouds get over there, and they're the ones who are the tempters. Um, if you accept, now this is interesting. Did you read the thing about the uh, the Necrocene Mark? 
Yeah. Can I read this, or do you have it picked out? I'll go. Go, go. Um, okay, so the Knights of Shrouds come by, and th- now they have their armies will follow them. The undead will follow their every word. Everybody else hates them for a traitor. I think he, I think even uh, Nagash and and the other, you know, uh, undead, the, the vampires, I think everybody looks at Knight of Shrouds with sort of contempt because they are total traitors. Um, basically, they get something called the Necrocene Mark. It's a magical brand that ensures their soul is given to Nagash at the end of their days. And accepting the mark, they forsake any chance to win a place in Sigmar's armies. They forego the salvation of those reincarnated by the Phoenician's innermost temples or reborn in the purest of the Jade Kingdoms. They even forfeit the last resort of pledging their souls to the Dark Gods. Their fate is set. Those who reach Nagashazar carrying this dark discoloration will be spared an unliving purgatory as an ambulatory corpse and instead be slain in ritual, then resurrected as a powerful undead marshal or sorcerer. Some individuals know for certain they will be given immortality upon death, albeit one spent at the beck and call of a vile and necromantic god. So it's like, look, so he goes to generals and leaders and kings and basically says, look, just give up. And that's the, that's where and that leads into the stuff about the, what the Knight of Shrouds actually are. And um, you, you give up your soul and you do this. And uh, sometimes they just, uh, you know, they lead their their armies into traps. Or they get to a field and right as it looks like they're going to do well, suddenly he just, the leader just sort of rides away and lets them get uh, wiped out. Uh, but basically, he's the worst type of traitor because they don't just switch sides. They basically sacrifice everyone under their charge to to the undead. And then they get them all wiped out and then the necromancers come and raise them all back. And the people you used to be in charge of keeping safe are now your undead army. Uh, that's just that's great. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. They hate themselves. They spend most of their own life trying to justify their choice and what they did to their people. Uh, and because of that, that that need to justify and make sure it's okay drives them on to worse and worse acts, proving that they they're better than humans and that humans or that the living are are unimportant. Uh, but that, that's a great backstory for these for these guys as well. I think the Dark Oath Chieftain kind of got uh, got the short end of the stick because it's basically like, oh, you just kill a lot of people and force armies under your control. That's what the humans do. Um, yeah, she kind of got the short end, but yeah, because this is something new for the other guys. But there's really nothing in the Dark Oath Chieftain that I think that stood out as new. You know, the War Queen. You mean the, the War? Oh, yeah, Dark Oath War Queen. Sorry. Um. So, we talked about the Gravesand. We talked about Shyish. We talked about the Ring, and then we're up to the Doomed March, and then we're almost done here. And then we'll take a break. Uh, and, okay. The Doomed March, as far as the story goes, I mean, did anything in here really super grab you, or did this just? I mean, it's good to know what was happening, but it. I didn't think so. The big thing I got out of this is that it's giving justification to advance the story of why these forces are in Shyish, because they all want the same thing, which is to figure out what the heck is going on, but they have all of them kind of attract each other 
and end up with this massive scrum. Um, it just seemed like it seemed a little sloppy just to push everyone into a mega battle. Well, and okay, and here, uh, yeah, I this is the one part of the book I didn't. Okay, so of course, your dark oath war queen, war queen has, and you know she's united tons of different. She's got every every chaos god's minions under her banner because that's what happens. You defeat someone and then you take the their head and then you take their army. So she's got she's got uh corn demons there, she's got Nurgle demons there, she's got Zinch demons there. She's going right up the middle, right? Meanwhile there's already Stormcast there. They see these guys coming, but they're trying to get to Nagashazar and find out what's happening there. Meanwhile, as she goes through the gate this is where our fungoid cage shaman, what's his name? You know his name better than I do. Snazgar Stink Mullet. Yeah, Stink Mullet uh, basically says, ooh, look at what she's doing. And they're fighting with undead and stuff like that. He goes, you know, if we follow like along in the caves and the tunnels and all the other crap around here, if we can follow along with that, we can wait until she gets into a big scrap because there's a lot more of her. And then wh- whoever she's fighting with, you know, the winner of that will be depleted and then we'll jump out and attack them. It's a total. That's there's your there's your um, there's your cunning but brutal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're all going along, and basically, here's what happens in the story: the Stormcast don't want to stop to go back. The leader doesn't want to stop to go back to fight the forces of chaos because that's not what he's there for. He's there to stop Nagash and find out what's going on. So he's trying to get to Nagash's eye. He's having weird dreams of a battlefield full of blood, right? And these visions are the that the stormcast are dying and they're fighting against these massive armies of 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 chaos and both they're just all stuck there in this huge crowd all of them are I mean, there's there's death everywhere and he's like I can't stop for this I have to go whoever those stormcast are maybe they're holding them the back maybe they're doing their job I need to go um it's a hard choice for him because of course in his previous life his entire village was wiped out by chaos demons so, as he's going, he comes across another Stormcast, one of the guys on the, the Lord Aquilor or something like that, or one of these guys, one of these, uh, I forget who it was, but he sees this guy. Yeah, it's uh, Rayless of the Galewalker Vanguard Chamber. Right, okay. And he's talking to him, and he says, uh, you know, they meet up, and they're working together, and they're fighting the undead, and finally he confides in him that he's having these visions, of this battle over there, but he doesn't want to go to that battle because that's not his fight. His fight is to go. And um, this Gale Walker's like, how could you leave your brethren behind again? You know, bringing up what happened to him in his past life. You left them, you know, they all got killed under your watch. Are you going to leave your brothers to die while they're fighting this battle? You, you could add your numbers to them and maybe you could change the tide. So he gets shamed into going to this battle and then they're fighting this battle. Um, and basically they're there and they're not moving towards Nagash's arc because now they're fighting this battle and it turns out that his vision wasn't some other guys. It was actually him and he got talked into it. Um, his guys go and, and smash most of the chaos stuff but that breaks open the ground which goes into the catacombs underneath where you see all these orcs and goblins who they run out and now everybody's fighting. And of course... Gale Walker slips away, and he's actually the changeling, and he's off to do Zinch's work now. 
and nobody gets into Gashazar because they're all fighting there because they're all being manipulated. Um, By Zeech. Yeah. It's kind of a long story to say that they all went in there and now they're getting messed up and nobody's quite making it to Nagashazar right now. Mm-hmm. Actually, my favorite part of the story had nothing to do with really getting there at all, which was the part with the goblins because they're getting attacked by undead through all these catacombs every day. And you're reading this thinking, oh, this is wearing them down. No, they're having the time of their lives. There's a it's battle. fighting without end. There's a battle every day. There's a battle. These guys are like, Stink Mullet, you are the greatest. We love you. You brought us to the greatest place you could possibly bring us. 24-7 fighting. Mm-hmm. They're loving it. But that's the story. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I see you're getting us here, but eh. so the march didn't get there. Yeah, and then they give us like a brief like timeline of not quite the other space stuff timeline, that's going on. Yeah, it's not the space timeline, but it's, it's there's getting some, there. There's Were there some cool stuff in here, but yeah, there is a lot of nuggets in here. There's a lot of nuggets, but some of it's like a little bit quick. Um. A couple that I liked. One Lord Ordinator chooses his weird path to. He's a, he's supposed to be taking a message somewhere, and he sees in the stars. He's got to get this message across, but he starts leading his people through a really weird path to get there. And they're all like, "What are you crazy?" And they're all mad at him. And they're all like, "You're not doing the job right." And suddenly they get attacked by Slanesh, and he starts running. This game where he's basically they're chasing him and his people, and they're making all these moves. And suddenly these storms that are brewing, the lightning starts coming down and hitting all of the Slanesh guys. Well, the Lord Ordinator, being able to scry the future a bit, um, he's scrying just slightly ahead, and he can see where all of the lightning is going to hit. So he's basically doing this running, retreating. They're trying to get him. He's keep running towards his destination, but he's running into the path of the storm and getting just just ahead of all the lightning. So everybody chasing him is just constantly getting stuck, smashed by lightning until they all die, which I thought was kind of clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any that stuck? I mean, I have a couple more that stuck out for me. Did anything stick out for you? Um, one of them was the corpse of Shadespire. Okay. Um, that one? For this one, it, Yeah, I marked that too. Yeah. The, there's a fleet that leaves from Beric Zilfin. Um, and they move towards Shadesfire because they're trying to find something there. Um, they say that they're going in search of new seams of Ethergold, but they're trying to get to the bounty of Shadesfire. And they get there. Um, several search parties move into urban wilderness for that ravaged city, but only ten return, raving of strange living statues and the penumbral dimensions. And they bring an artifact with them called the Magnificent Mirror, within which is trapped the vainest soul ever to have existed. And, but none of them ever get back to Beric Zilfin, a clockwork hawk. I'm imagining something that looks like Bilbo the Owl from Clash of the Titans. Yep, that's exactly what I was um, picturing. Flies back. So could this possibly mean Caradron Overlords and Shadespire? Even more so. Who's the vainest man in the world? The vainest soul ever. It's the vainest soul ever to exist in. Okay, yeah, um, that's even worse. Sorry. 
It could be Sigvald. Oh, that would be funny as heck. Because I'm trying to is figure out who that is, you know, and I have no idea, but I'm like, oh, this is too good. Sigvald, uh, the Magnificent from World That Was, his shield was a mirror, and he had to be surrounded by followers with mirrors, and so he right. could admire his reflection. Right. Oh, that could be it. That would be funny. Could be. Um, okay, here's one that I read, and I, I'm just going to read this because it's like a paragraph, and I'm like, um, wait, what? Searching for Souls. Did this one stand out to you at all? Yeah. You okay. can have it. In every mortal realm, the unquiet dead seek out sites of magical potency. Wherever a land has seen Stormcast Eternals return to Azir, the dead gather upon the churned earth to stand motionless as if waiting for the Golden Warrior's reappearance. Wherever a Dark Oath champion is claimed body and soul by the chaos powers they worship, cadavers mill and moan at the sight within days, ghouls sniffing the air as if to pick up its scent. In shadowy Ulgu, masses of skeletons clamor on top of each other to form bony columns that claw at the winged elves in the gloom above. Nowhere is safe from those who would evade Shyish's grip. Wait, what is ha- what is go- so? Wherever someone dies, but their spirit doesn't stay there for Nagash to collect, these guys just like these the undead mill about like like uh, there should be somebody here. There should be something we're taking. And what is going on in Olgu? They're calling they're calling skeleton mountains to grab flying elves. What is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've had seen a couple pictures on the preview of elves with wings for the daughters of Cain. Uh huh. So I think that's what they're talking about. Yeah, but the thing that I've noticed going through this entire book. As far as like the background, there's a lot to do with souls. Yes. Because you get Nagash um, and his like the manifestation of his soul. Sigmar's soul burns to throw down the realm stone that forms the citadels. There's a lot of soul talk. Which I think is a very... It's different than what they've done before. Yeah. So... Um. Of all of these, I had one last one I marked, the Totems of War. Did you mark this one at all? I did, but... Take it. All right. So, Snazgar, Stink Mullet, um, has led the tribes into Shayesh, and they have these strange visions that spread from Shaman to Shaman, and it's... The Wa to end all Wa's gathers gathers pace. So this is like the biggest Wa that gets put together. Um, And the Snazgar and the war bosses that are helping him um, raise great totem totem poles of boulders, skulls, and gravesand as markers. And many of these come to life. Rogue idols of Mork and or Gork. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. So I do like that they're tying in a lot of the things that we've had and now making them an actual part of the lore again. Because the rogue idol didn't make all that much sense. It makes a little more sense now. It's kind of like, oh, okay. I'll take it. All right. Uh, that's about everything from the lore. And it took us like an hour, um, which I said for only 28 pages. But there's... 
there's nuggets here worth discussing. And the actual story part with what he's doing is so cool. Like, I really like that. It was when we got to the death march and all that. Everybody's getting there, and it's like, okay, so there's a lot of guys here, and they're all fighting amongst themselves instead of being smart and going after what they're supposed to be going after. Mm-hmm. So that part of the story was a little weak, but these, this plan that's been evolving over thousands... Dude, I'm just... They walked 35,000 miles in one direction to grab a grain of sand. The skeletons. And now they've got enough where they're tainting, turning that sand into shade glass, which has been turned into monument after monument and a giant black pyramid. That's a lot of sand. Yep. That's and a- there's other obelisks there, too, that Nagash has made out of the glass to oh, right. channel the power and void. So this isn't just like it's one massive structure. It's several structures that he's made out of all this concentrated grave sand. Right, it did say that at at places of magical power within the realm, you would find smaller upside down pyramid altars. Yeah, almost like waystones. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, it's just the the breadth of this plan is just almost unfathomable when you realize what has been going on here. That him and Arkan the Black have been keeping this secret and working on this for tens of thousands of years and he just doesn't care because he's got he's immortal i'll live forever so i can wait i just i love it so uh let's take a break and when we come back we'll start talking about some of the cool things you can you can do to incorporate this stuff into your game and we'll talk about the five new war scrolls that you're getting so we'll be right back Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back talking the realm of battle in Shayish, the realm of death. Yes, yes. Um, so they basically say if you want to play in the realm of death, there's some cool stuff that you can do. And they start off with um, information here on what happens. Um, all wizards know this spell, Paul of Doom. 
casting value of six. If so, pick up an enemy unit with pick an enemy unit with an eighteen inches. Subtract two from their bravery until the next hero phase. So it's got to be visible. So you already working against the bravery. It's this undead thing. There's a lot of gloom and fear. Um, and they also give you two realm commands that you can use instead of any command abilities that are normally allowed to use. So if you choose uh, one of these as your command ability, uh, this replaces any other command ability except for um, what's the, whatever it is, the one that... No. So if you pick one of these, you can still use the one that's on your war scroll? It's just you, that turn. As well as inspiring presence. You just have more options. Oh, Okay. It says you can instead of any command abilities that you're normally allowed to use. So I just thought that it had to be was replacing. So this is just an no. additional one. Yeah. Now can you do you have to pick one of these two or can you just use both of them? Like you obviously you get to use them. both of them. Okay. You just get to pick one of them to use in addition to inspiring presence and the one on your scroll. Okay. So this makes for more like thematic play. So the first of which is honor the dead. So you get to pick a friendly unit within 12 and roll a d6. If the dice roll is less than the number of models that have been slain from the unit you picked, so the more damage you take, the more likely this is to succeed, you get to add one to the attack's characteristics of weapons used by that unit until the end of the turn. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. So right away it's not going to give you the best output, but... It's still going to make more sense. So, like, once we get near the end of the game, um, as stuff starts to die more, this picks up quite a bit. This is actually much more helpful to larger armies. Units, yeah. Larger army, larger units. The elite stuff, it's not going to be able to use it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even the Soul Force Sacrifice, which is still good. Uh, Pick a unit within three inches. Allocate any number of wounds to that unit, and you can heal a wound that has been allocated to your general for each wound you allocate. Took seven wounds. Got only one left. I'll just put seven wounds on. I'll just, you're basically sucking the souls out of your guys. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So there's a little bit of necromancy that gets extended to everybody. Hey, I got to survive. I got to get to the end. Yeah. And then they introduced the Realmscape features. Now, this we had in GHB 2017 as well. So it's very similar stuff. Like, you get to roll a d6 at the start of the battle, and you get this extra rule for the table you're fighting, which is just, like, extra rules for the scenario, essentially. Um, So that ranges from no effect to, at the start of your hero phase, you roll a dice, and on a six, you pick an enemy unit, and they take d3 mortal wounds. So that happens for both players, um, and it carries so forth and so on like that. So yeah. it just adds a little extra flavor and variety to your game, and which all is of cool. Them, yeah, and all of them are themed to the realm of death. Yeah, and it should also be worth mentioning, like in the section before this, they do put a disclaimer on there that you don't have to use these rules. These are all options, so it's your own sandbox. You play in it. So that's always a good thing. And then they have the power of death, which is... I like this. Yeah, this one is... It's very interesting um, because it's saying, like, the more stuff dies, the more the death magic stirs up and affects the battlefields 
because the necromantic energies are unleashed, even if unintentional. So how this works is at the start of the following hero phase, the player whose turn is taking place rolls a d6 and adds one to the score for each unit, friend or foe, that was destroyed in the previous turn. And then whatever that result is on this chart, you add for that round as far as like an extra ability. And it's kind of wonky, like the stuff that happens here. So if like nobody was dead or one, you know, so basically the lowest you can get is a two, D6 plus the number of units slain. Um, if nothing is slain, then you don't get to roll. So you can't have a one. You got to have at least one dead unit. Mm-hmm. And it starts from stuff, uh, units on the battlefield, friend or foe, suffer a mortal wound. That's like the basic one. Uh, plus one to casting rolls. Um, pick enemy units and they suffer wounds. Pick a friendly unit, they can immediately pile an attack. Uh, if you pick a death unit, they can also attempt to make a charge move if, as if it was a charge phase before piling and attacking. Um, to the last, the biggest one, if your D6 plus units slain is a 10 or better, basically you can put a, 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 a destroy unit back on the board. Now, and it doesn't cost reinforcement points. And it doesn't cost reinforcement points. They even put that on there specifically. Yes. Note that the controlling player does not need to pay reinforcement points for this unit in pitched battle games. Now, it's only up to 10 wounds. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a unit that you had that's 10 wounds or less. So, you know, uh, it's, you're not putting anything huge, but you could put, you know, anything up to 10 wounds back on the table. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very flavorful. Um, the dead can come back and help the good guys as well, you know? Um, then we get into the actual malign portents. And you, basically what you have, and this is, uh, like for 40K, this is, uh, what is this? These are, uh, command points, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's a little different of a mechanic compared to like the straight number of command points that you have in 40k for having a what is it a battle forged army and then the different uh, troop organizations that you take. This is something different and a little more random. Oh yes. So you roll a d6, so you get at least a d6 worth of prophecy points. Okay. Then, uh, if you're fighting in the realm of death, you get three more prophecy points. So if you're playing in this realm, automatically another three. If there's a harbinger from your army on the battlefield, so one of these four new models, hold on. Excuse me, sneezing like crazy. Um, If a harbinger from your army is on the battlefield, that's another three. If a hero from your army has the War Scryer Citadel, if he's in it, if he's got a, uh, if he's garrisoning it, that's another three. And then every p- priest or wizard that's on your battlefield gives you another one. So, you know, you're fighting in the realm of death. You get D six plus three. You got a Lord Ordinator. That's another three. He's garrisoning the War Scryer Citadel. That's another three. And uh, you might have. Um, a couple of wizards or some other uh, priest of some sort, and suddenly, boom, 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 you got 9, 10, 12 points, whatever you're getting. Mm-hmm. Now, what's crazy is there's uh, 
six different guiding sort of omens you can read from, and each of those has six things you can do. So, yeah, and it you have to pick which one you're going to do at the start of your first battle round. So it's not like you can flip between these at will. You have to pick one and stick with it. Yep. Um, and so each one's got a slight different feel to it. So you kind of got to go through it and look what's going to suit you. You think best for what situation. If you check these out ahead, it'll be easier. But they've got the falling star, the bloodied skull, the black void, the bale moon, the writhing serpent, and the red mists. And each of them have, like I said, a group of things. And basically, during the game, it'll tell you when you can when you can interpret these signs in the skies. Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, you get you get so many points on your turn. And, oh, at the start of each battle round, you generate your prophecy points. Each player generates them, and you basically have that many to last the whole battle round. You can only do any particular one once per turn. So, you know, I can do it once in my turn and once during your turn. But if I have enough points, I can do multiple multiple uh, interpretations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they run the gamut from one to five prophecy yeah, points. And there's just a bunch of stuff here. We don't have to go through all of them. But like here, no. the falling star. Uh, interpret this immediately after f- failing a save roll. Reroll the save roll. That's two points. You know, a four-pointer. Uh, in the hero phase, after rolling the power of the death table, add one to that roll. You know, you could pick different things to, to adjust things around. Um, and they do run the gambit, like I said, from one prophecy point up to five. Um. Like this first one, the Falling Star, for five points. Interpret this sign immediately after picking a friendly unit wholly within 18 inches of the interpreter to shoot in your shooting phase. Add one to their hit rolls. Mm-hmm. So when it goes through this, and there's, like you said, there are six of these. Is there anything that really stuck out to you? Anyone that you liked in particular or that, that you really thought was awesome? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. And the big thing that I got out of these was, like, the actual descriptions of what the sign is. Because then that kind of gives you a direction of what you want from your army. Like, the Black Void is seen as a yawning hole, a toothy maw, a dark maelstrom, or even the den of a colossal spider. So that, to me, read more like that's the destruction. Um, But obviously you get to pick and choose. And the Black Void, actually, is a lot of that is uh, a lot of extra movement. Yeah, there's a lot of extra movement, a lot of bumping, uh, like, min- diminishing things. Right. Like, reduce the range of spells, but add plus two to the casting value. So, it's it's kind of wonky, it's, it's, and that it's, it's, definitely yeah. screams destruction. You're going all out because everything's going to die quickly. That one I was reading from, The Falling Star, that's, you, can tell, you can tell the future with unnatural clarity. So, that a lot of these are re-rolls. Plus one to hit or plus one to re-roll or things like that because you get the bonuses. And they've all got a different thing. They've um, even got, like, names of old spells yeah. from uh, the world that was the Potent of Far, Second Sign of Amul, Doom and Darkness. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that hits that nostalgia button a little bit. <laughs> yep. And that's just fine. So... Uh, yeah, this and, and so you can pick from all of this when you play. So suddenly, 
it's like the, like I said, it's like they're introducing uh, what do you call them? Uh, the command, command points, points and uh, yeah. and stratagems. Mm-hmm. I got little things I can add in, little things that can tweak tweak the game. In my, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I don't see anything that's going to really throw the game out of whack. No, um, not really. Yeah, because you could, like I said, just having certain characters will help you. I mean, um, you know, if you're not necessarily fighting in the realm of death, you know, and you don't have that piece of terrain on the board. You're going to at least want to have one of these guys in your army if you know you're going to be playing with this. You know, at least have uh, one of the harbingers because they just give you automatic points for this stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where a lot of that that uh, adjustment, if you're playing in that realm, that's that's a good bulk of it right there. Oh, and by the way, each of them, each of the heralds also gets. Their, their own, own personal. So the or- the Lordordinator gets the signs from the heavens. Uh, the War Queen signs from the Dark Gods. Cave Shaman, obviously, Gorka Morka. And the Knight of Shrouds gets his signs from the Great Necromancer. So there actually is ten of these, only seven of which are accessible to any of the four characters. So that's another six. So you've literally got 42 options. Uh, per guy, you could pick your your particular group of six you're going to stick with for the game, but there's so many options. Yeah. Uh, they also give you if you want to do skirmish, if you want to play Warhammer skirmish, they give you the points, the renown points for all four of the the harbingers, and they adjust the the malign portents that you can do. Basically, it's like plus one only for all those things because mm-hmm. so fewer and um. They take out four. Bale Moon, Bloody Skull, Red Mist, and Falling Star are things you cannot interpret. So they cut it down to you have three instead of seven to choose from. No, no, it's just those specific portents. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. There's, oh, so it's not the whole thing. It's one portent. Oh, so you can still pick them, but those four you only have five choices from because the thing that they give you is too... too Yeah, like the... One example on here is the Wind of Death, which is from Red Mist, which is four points, but you get to do it in your hero phase, and you roll a dice for each unit, friend or foe on the battlefield, and on a six, uh, they take a mortal wound. On Skirmish, because everything is its own unit... Oh, you could just wipe out a lot of stuff that way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's So I think they're just trying to make it go from non-games. Oh, right. Okay, so I misread that. I just thought uh, I wasn't reading that properly at all. But you can still do it with Skirmish. And they've got Skirmish command abilities, Skirmish artifacts, Skirmish mysterious terrain, uh, very specific battle rewards, and uh, magic spells. Yeah, Um, and it's got um, just one battle plan in here for Skirmish. Yes. But still, there's enough here where if you want to play in the Realm of Death and play these portents on a skirmish level, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got a three-part narrative battle that they include in here, which is, I've read through this and I like this. Um, the only thing I don't like is, um, and it's because I want to run this at UGG and I can't run it this way, is the third of the narrative battle plans has a double board where you got a 4x6 and a 4x4. And it's like, ugh, okay. 
which is cool. Like if I'm playing at home and I set this up and I want to set up another thing on another table somewhere, but now at any game store you're taking up basically two tables worth to play your game. Mm-hmm. But there's cool stuff there. There is. Uh, you get two pitched battle plans, and then we get the war scrolls. You want to go over these war scrolls and, and wrap this up? Look at this. We're wrapping things up. Yeah, we're getting there. All right. Uh, do you want to start with Lordinator? Okay, Lordinator. Uh, let's see. This dude uh, wields hammers that strike with the thunderclap force. Um, they read the stars. Oh, let's see. Um. Uh, he, he's got a movement of five. He's got five wounds, a four-up save, nine bravery. Basic, basic hero, right? Um, he's got his hammers, five attacks, fours by threes, no rend, one damage. So yeah, it's okay. Um, as we as we mentioned in the last episode, these guys have been written for uh, grand alliances, not specific ones. Yes, which is cool. Because uh, you know this is all about these different grand lines. They're going after, they're going after th- the death faction, and chaos is sending out stuff sort of mixed. They're all just going out together, and that's the one part of that story the, of all of them coming in. That that was nice was that that war queen had all the different armies under her under her command, and the cave shaman had. Trogoths and 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 orcs and grots and everything with him, um, mm-hmm. but so now here's what the uh, he's got a command ability called Reign of Fire. Um, if he's the general and use this ability, pick a friendly order war machine wholly within twelve inches of it at the start of the shooting phase. You can fire twice with that war machine. So one war machine within 12 inches of him can fire twice. That's his command ability. Then his regular ability, plus one to hit for friendly order war machines within six inches of any friendly Lord Ordinator. So, you know, he's, he's given out the Lord Ordinate to, if you have more than one, he's going to be giving out uh, bonuses to a bunch of war machines. Um, he's also got a meteoric slam. If you roll two or more hit rolls of six with the astral hammers, then after all your attacks are done, pick an enemy unit within an inch, and they take D3 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. So he's got sort of the the you know the the hammers like the retributors have, except he's got five attacks with um they're one handed, not two handed. So he's got to hit double sixes or more. In order to get some mortal wounds off, yeah. And when we come down to this, um, at the end of it, like actually, I'll just cover it now. So, for the pit, malign portents games, um, they can be the general of any grand alliance as long as they have the grand alliance keyword. But they can't be given command traits or artifacts unless they also share a keyword of that army's allegiance. Um, so. You can do like a free people army and take a Lord Ordinator as your general and doesn't take ally points to then get in all the guns. So that's how okay, you where get was that? Sword. Did I miss that? That's in the back. That's the very last page. Okay. It's that section right above their points profiles. Oh, I totally didn't read that. Yeah. I'm such a, it's a neat little nugget right at the end of it. 
okay. So if I took free people, I could take a Lord Ordinator without having to use ally points. He just counts. But since he is not listed as free people, he doesn't get any of the artifact or any of the bonus if I took a free people. Well, uh, he doesn't get bonuses because he's not of their thing, even though he, they're all still in the Grand Alliance of Order. Yeah, so essentially you can take a free guild army with a Lord Ordinator as your general, still keep the free guild um, allegiance abilities. Oh, okay. And then this guy does not count for ally points because he is now not an ally. Okay, but but if you do that, he can't take any of the bonus things. Right, so if he wants to take bonus things, you have to do either Grand Alliance Order or Grand Alli- or, uh, or Storm Allegiance cast. Stormcast. Okay. And then Ally in Guns. Okay, So, but that's cool, though. So if you don't care, if you want to, especially if you have other characters from Free Guild, you may want to be giving them all those Free Guild bonus things anyway. So who yeah. cares about giving this to him? Yeah. And so he's got his signs from the heavens, too. Yeah, and those are cool. There's some neat ones in there. Um, now, interesting that I found with this guy is that he's not an engineer. He doesn't have the engineer keyword. Nope. Which is actually a really good thing. Otherwise, he'd make most of the guns really ridiculous. But <laughs> Yeah. But he already does make it pretty nice. The plus one to hit just be in there and then picking one of them and firing twice. Oof. That can get pretty devastating pretty quick. Nothing says loving like a four-shot cannon, right? That's exactly. A four-shot cannon with plus one to hit. And re-rolling ones if you take a engineer. Of course you take. Why wouldn't you take an engineer? I don't know. Oh, anyway. So good. Um, you want to take the War Queen and the Shaman? Yeah, sure. So the Dark Oath War Queen, um, probably one of the... I really like this model to begin with. Um, I do too. But anyway, so she is movement six, save of five, brave eight, five wounds. She's got a neat lax, which is four attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage one. Um, her ability, so her attack goes up to damage two if she's targeting a hero or a monster when she attacks. And in addition, each time a wound inflicted by this model slays a hero or a monster, she gets to increase her attack profile by one for the remainder of the battle. Again, power through killing things that are big. Yep, yep. And then the other one is the Infernal Rune Shield. So whenever she takes a wound or a mortal wound on a 6+, it's negated. And the attacking models unit suffers a mortal wound. So it's kind of that bounce back. I think the Legion of Asgore has shields like this. Yeah. So that's all well and good. Now this one, her command ability is a big bubble. So if she uses it, you can reroll failed charge rolls for friendly slaves to darkness units that are wholly within 12 of her at the start of the charge phase. So some interesting wording on it that it has to be wholly within, not just within. Um, we're seeing a lot more in that in this book, but that's just fine. So it's a big deal for like knights and your slower, heavier infantry to then get the bonuses on the rerolls. So yeah, that is sharp. And then my favorite little guy, because reasons, uh, the fungoid <laughs> cave shaman, who is absolutely adorable, and the little spore squig that comes with him is amazing. Yep. So this guy, oh, and the war queen comes in at a whomping 80 points. <laughs> Jeez. 
So she's very cost effective, which is cool. Um, now the fungoid shaman is also 80 points for a movement of five, six up save, bravery four, four wounds. So that's a typical moon clan grat shaman profile. Yep. He's got two different attack options. He's got his sickle, which is three attacks, fours by fours, run one damage, one. And then the Spore Squigs, Vicious Teeth, are two attacks, four by four, no rend, damage one. So, cool stuff. Now, he's got a mushroom, because all of them do. So, if he eats a death cap once per battle, then until his next, until your next hero phase, he cannot attack with his Moonsickle, but you can reroll failed casting, unbinding, and save rolls for him as well as cast an additional spell. So, one turn he goes really all psychedelic, and everything's amazing. Um, he's got hallucinogenic stupor, so whenever he takes a wound or a mortal wound, he rolls a dice on a 5 plus, it's negated, so it makes him survive a little longer, which is always a good thing for how squishy he is. Um, the spore squig, that when something tries to hit him, he kicks the squig, and it lets off these puffs of spores to hide him. So you have to subtract one from hit rolls that target him. Yeah, minus attacks, one to hit him. That's which is, great. Which is awesome. He's also got a new spell, which is Spore Maws. So it's got a cast value of seven. Um, if it's cast, each enemy unit within D6 inches of him takes D3 mortal wounds. So really short range, uh, but potentially really nasty. And then his command ability, I'm kind of torn on this one. So you can, ch- if you use it, then you can charge with one friendly Grot or Auric unit that is wholly within 18 inches of him at the start of the following charge phase, even if the unit ran or retreated I- earlier in the same turn. That could be pretty good, though, couldn't it? It could be. Um the only problem that I have with it is that squigs don't have the grot keyword. Oh, yeah. So, again, this guy was not designed, I think, specifically to max out the benefits of a Moon Clan army. He's, again, designed to be more destruction. Because getting running and charging uh, Gorgrunters or retreating and charging... Uh, like any of the units that benefit from being able to charge a charge bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Or being able just to get out of combats and still have units get right back into it. So again, he's guiding them to the fight. So he plays very much to his character, even if it's not as cool, but it's still a good ability. Yep. And then we got the Knight of Shrouds. Uh, Six-inch move, five wounds, four up save, ten bravery. He can fly. Uh, he's ethereal, so no modifiers on save rolls. He's basically got a four up save no matter. It's just he's got a straight up four up save. No modifiers, yeah. positive or negative, so you can't boost him. But he's, Yeah, that's a new ethereal rule. Yeah. Because before it was just ignore rend. Now it's just you can't modify it at all. Right, so it's straight up, four up, that's what it is. Uh, he's got four attacks, threes by threes, one rend, damage two, so that's not actually too bad at all. No. 
And this is the Sword of Stolen Hours. So Stolen Hours. Every time you uh, a wound inflicted by this model, Sword of Stolen Hours slays an enemy hero, heal one wound. So, meh. Um, I mean, I'll take it, but how many heroes are you going to slay? And, I think he'll slay a few. Uh, well, that's true with the damage, too, hopefully. Um, you know, hey, anything helps. Uh, he's got a command ability, Spectral Overseer. In the command phase, add one to hit rolls for friendly. Oh, in the, I mean, sorry, in the combat phase, add one to hit rolls for friendly night haunt models uh, while they are wholly within nine inches of it. So it's not just units; it's any models within nine, wholly within nine inches of him, get plus one to hit. Yeah, that's for the night haunts. That's strictly the ghosts. Yes. So. Do you notice that every one of them uh, has a three-point, um, the three-prophecy point thing where you get an additional D6 prophecy points? Oh, the gamble? Yeah, yeah. so if you need a little more, it's always that, okay, I'm bank, I'm giving up three. Uh, as long as I roll a three, <laughs> I don't lose anything. So you got a two-thirds, ch- or 50-50 chance to get more b- back than what you started with. But... Uh, I don't know. That's it. That's it for the Knight of Shrouds. Do you want to take the Citadel? The Citadel is great. The Citadel is... There's a lot to cover with this silly thing. There's so much. All right. So let's give it a shot. So it's got a couple of special rules. Uh, The first of which is Celestium Construct. So if if a friendly hero is garrisoning this building at the start of your hero phase, you can use the Realm Stone bound within it to get a little extra boost, like Skyne, uh Future Possibilities. Um, and these are... Oh, and if it's a Lord Ordinator garrisoning in it, then you do not need to roll on this table. You get to pick the one you want instead. So, fun little safety feature there. Uh, so, on a 1, you get to pick an enemy unit wholly within 18 inches of the Citadel and subtract one from the bravery characteristic of that unit until your next hero phase. Um, two is Boon of the Seer. So you pick a friendly unit wholly within 18 inches of the Citadel. Until your next hero phase, roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a model in that unit. And on a six, it, it is ignored. Um, Arcane Gaze, pick a friendly wizard within 18 inches of the Citadel. You can re-roll the first failed casting roll for that model this phase. Uh, let's see, the gift of foresight is four, so you get to pick a friendly hero that is within 18 inches of the Citadel, and ignore the attacking weapon's rend characteristic when making save rolls for that model. So it essentially makes them immune to rend, um, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Divine Inspiration is five, so you pick a friendly hero that is within 18 inches, and they can immediately use a command ability. Um, with that model, which is great for a lot of heroes that you have secondary command abilities on. Yep. Um, and then Reversal of Fortune, so you get to pick a friendly hero that is in 18 inches and heal D3 wounds to them. So, that's just one of the rules. Um, yeah. The next of which is the Domed Arcana Scope. So, if a friendly hero is garrisoning the, the uh, Citadel, then you can attempt to unbind one spell with them in each enemy hero phase in the same manner as a wizard. And if they can already unbind spells, then they get to do an additional attempt. Yep. 
All right. Now we get to garrisoning, which is um, you can set up, it'll hold one friendly hero and one friendly unit. Um, so it's very similar to uh, other buildings that we've seen have the garrison rule. Um, and it's got those things. Um, but it adds a little more because the building itself is so gigantic. Um, and if a war scary citadel has battlements, now, I'm not sure exactly what the battlements are. I'm pretty sure those are the walkways, right? Yep. Okay. So if a war scary citadel has battlements, then it can also be garrisoned by a single, a single monster that can fly. Because it now has a place to land. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's... But it does say that monsters cannot garrison the citadel unless it has battlements. Although, why? You oh, wouldn't... you know what it is? The battlements? Uh, you know the top of the citadel, you can put that dome on top of it? Mm-hmm. The other option, if you don't put the dome, there's a picture of it on page 42. Um, there's no dome. There's just like, there's literally battlements. There's little crenellations and things. So you could either have the, the dome up there to scry the future, or you can have a little defensive uh, position up. So it's one or the other. Oh, okay. Do you see the picture there? Yeah, I don't own the kit, so that's oh. a good catch, Dave. Yeah, I did. I, I have the kit, but I don't. I never built it with the, I put the dome on it. Like, I didn't even notice those things. So that I, when I went back and looked for pictures, I'm like, oh, there you go. So, yeah, if you put the dome so you can do the cool thing where you can do extra dispels, then you can't land a flyer on it. So, there you go. Um, what are the other rules with this thing? You want me to take this for a little bit here? Let's see. No, that was it. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, basically all the rules. Range and visibility is set up like that. Okay, yeah, if a War Sky or Citadel has battlements, it can also garrison monster can fly. Yep, that is everything then. There you go. That's a lot, mm-hmm. though, for that thing. Yeah, but it is a gigantic terrain feature. Yeah, and it's cool. I like that, that whole thing. You can go up there if you've got the hero in the building. You got two things that affect the unit, one that helps wizards, and three things that just affects heroes. They automatically get something going. But that's the whole point. They've got all these Citadels up now. Um, I did like some of the story about when they, when they landed, the Lord ordinators were like, we've got to go find these things. And so they head out. And if they get there, like a lot of times when they get there, uh, there's already like anyone who is like magic sensitive around their wizards and mages and different things like that. They're drawn to that as well. So a lot of times the Lord ordinator will get there and the, uh, like there will be just already human mages and stuff and 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 scholars all like working and building at the citadel and trying and fortifying and and, and using this uh, and a lot of those times those guys saw all the all the signs already and they knew that they were coming they're like up oh, here we got it ready for you as we could here it is they hand it over um some people who are still uh for order but maybe not them those guys are usually can be talked into giving it over to them uh, the only time they got to fight for it is when they show up and it's being held by forces of chaos or forces of destruction. Then they got to fight them mm-hmm. for the place, uh, and then they and then they bring down the full wrath because they're like, "Nope, we need this. We got to have this because we've got to we've got to figure out what to do uh, against 
Nagash. So um, it is kind of interesting that once they land, how they did, hey, we saw you were coming. We, we got it ready for you. Here, take it. You're, you're good. You're good. But that's the whole book. That's everything. Uh, lots of fancy little rules that I think are going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Um, I don't mind this type of thing at all. Uh, this is the type of thing that makes gaming more fun than just practicing for tournaments. Yeah, my my local community is really excited for this. We're definitely going to be doing a campaign uh, post-Adepticon once we all get past that um, to use this whole thing. So Sweet. That should be fun and exciting. Skirmish, too? Uh, Maybe not skirmish. Okay. Maybe not skirmish. Maybe smaller point games. Um, but we have a lot of folks that are playing with armies that don't do skirmish. So we try gotcha. to make sure that we can get as inclusive as possible. Sure. No, that makes sense. But this is, I think, going to really change the pace of the game right now. Because like you said, like right now, all it is is practice for tournaments, practice for tournaments. This is something I... Herner, if you're listening, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, buddy. Yeah. But we'll see. So, no, this is, this is like the first course of what's to come. And they even said, like, this is going to be shaping everything that they do for this year. So this is just to get us started, folks. So I know there are a lot of people that said, oh, well, there's not a lot to be getting out of it as far as, like, the story is concerned. And you know what? There's not that much, but they're setting the stage. Exactly. For what's to come. Exactly. And I'm hoping that they really build on this because this is – they've set up something really interesting here, and I, I want to see where this goes. I am excited to see where this goes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's about it. Are we done? I think so. I think so. All right. So – um this is our second episode for February. We will be back in March on the 10th, as usual. And we will be covering the Legions of Nagash. So, yeah. So get your coffee running and start listening early because it's going to go for a while. There's so much. To yeah. Cover. Oh, dear goodness. It's so dumb. But it's there such a good book. There is a lot to that book. And yeah. So good. And then right after that, we have Adepticon, and then Daughters of Cain, and then God knows what else. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Yeah, we're going to have to record something quick to do for Adepticon, because that's actually supposed to come out on Adepticon weekend. And yeah. I'm going to be at Adepticon, so it's either going to be a day late, or we're going to have to do something. I don't know what. Day late or a dollar short. Yep, one of those two. So uh, I think that's it. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, don't forget to check out After Eleanor on the Free Buddhas Network. Still working on that. Um, Free Buddhas Network is a good thing. Also, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash garagehammer. Thank you to the almost 1%. And thank you, Alex, for joining me today in this wonderful look at the new storyline or where the storyline is going to be going I'm assuming this is going to be the, the, the 2018 storyline, at the very least, where this is going. So uh, I'm excited that we're laying out the groundwork here. So, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So uh, We are going to wrap it up there, here, uh, with that. Um, folks, until next time, 
You know it. Only the faithful be triumphant. Only the faithful stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's tga.community. Or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>